Blog Talk Radio. This is Jay Lethal, the undisputed champion of the wrestling world. This is John Sullivan. It's Babs Ayagbusi. Michael Thompson talking. It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. This is Jerry Rose. Charles Johnson. Psycho Killer, Kamasa Champa. This is Matt Blair. Thank you for listening to Sportscast Radio. Sportscast Radio. Welcome to Sportscast Radio. Welcome back at the normal WrestleCast Radio. predecessor SportsCast Radio coming at you, as always, every Wednesday at 10 p.m. But first and foremost, before we get out of the sports, but, oh, the Islanders are just scoring overtime and they're going to a Game 7. Suck my dick. Okay. I'm turning this off. I'm, I'm, now we're already starting off on a bad, bad note <laughs> to begin this one. Hey, so, so let, me, let me ask you a question here. Um, okay. Does your is your wife by you and has is she able to put on the headphones? Yeah, why? Because because you just called me out over something that I did not do, and, and I need to I need to state my claim that I did no. not say a word. No, no. Unless you want to own up to it. Unless you want to own up to it. I will. Ryan did not. What's that noise? I was just saying you were being noisy. And, and tell her I'm I'm calling you out on live radio for it. He said we're calling. He's calling me out live right now. People can hear this. <laughs> Damn it! Ryan wants to know when he's gonna get his chili. I do. I didn't ask it, but I thank you for having my back. She said when I'm not a douchebag, so it looks like you're never getting. Oh in. man! See, this I, there's always some problem that I get screwed because you 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 can't you can't bring chili because you. You dropped it in the street or whatever excuse you hey, had, or you got hey, if, you got COVID or whatever. Hey, if I hey, I did get COVID. Like she can be, she can testify. Like I literally was dying. Uh, hey, I can't go. I got COVID. I, hey, I if uh, if I take yeah, 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 I see your side. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. If you take this job. I'll be down here, and then I won't be in Bemidji, so I can That's bring true. you Billy more often. That's true. Shout out, shout out to the one and only, uh, sleeping in the other room, five-year-old Sydney Cook, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Just went at the house tonight. We got a fun show, though. I'm excited. We're hitting up that that Big Apple. We should have that New York Jay-Z joint, because we got uh, Jets and Giants on tap, hour number one, hour number two. We'll be getting into some three strikes. We'll have some real MVPs, week four and five picks, talking the draft lottery. We got to talk these playoffs, man. Because uh, I'm looking at my screen. Doesn't look good for uh, four. Suns and four. Oh God, I wish, man. But let's not uh, let's let's not forget the Trey Young 48 points as the Hawks win 116, 113, win in Yep, Trey Young breaks out shinny on Drew Holiday during his 48-point outburst is the main article on ESPN.com right now. So It's crazy. Talking about – that is what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you. I just you, need I the Bucks to win. Suns and Hawks, baby. Suns and Hawks. No. no. But my heart, wants, my heart wants the Hawks, but my – my fantasy football draft pick status wants the box. <laughs> your mind's telling me no, but my body. Yeah. <laughs> but your body is telling me yes. Shout, shout out to uh, um, 
Do you, do, you, do you know who Bishop the Don is? No. He used to be in all the old Snoop Dogg songs. I'm Bishop the Don. That guy. What would make you think I know who that is when last night I didn't know who Cameron is? That's true. But I just want to give a shout out to Bishop the Don for his birthday today. We're sitting at Excalibur. We're getting COVID level war coverage. What's your thought, Bishop? Well, my thought is that this is kingdom business and we're taking care of it. <laughs> Hello. That, that was what does that even mean? I don't know. We were getting hammered at the at the tables, playing um, playing uh, we were, we were playing blackjack or, or roulette or something. Or I can't remember what we were playing. And I was sitting there with him. We talked about the fight, and I, and I was like, "Oh, Bishop, no, what's going on?" And he's like, "Oh, you know who I am." And uh, nobody believed it. Nobody believed it, even though I had the sound clip. And then when we went to the first big fight back here in Minnesota at the Armory, he Bishop the Don was like sitting there with like eight of his of his hoes and he was in his full suit and um elijah's like elijah's like come on let's go talk to him i was like nah nah he's like yeah because him and jordan's like yeah, i told you you ever talked to him so we go i'll say all right we can go down there they come down there and they're like they're like oh bishop man awesome to have you in minnesota he's like and, and he's like high five elijah and i'm like what's going on bishop and he looks at me and goes oh it's my homie from from Vegas, and, and they're like, "What the hell?" And I was like, "I told you." <laughs> that was like three years ago too. My thought is, this is kingdom business. We take care of it, and then, and then we have to simplify it for the bishop, though. Well, my thought is, just got him with the my thought. thought is. <laughs> um, there, there was a there was a statistic that I saw that I um, that I I read I think last night. Uh, to you guys that I thought was really entertaining, but uh, as we, we, we await our gentleman from the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 uh, I'm just letting them know already when you are. Um, there's There are uh, three quarterbacks that they got on that depth chart. Uh, Zach Wilson, James Morgan, and Mike White. Oh, uh, uh, speak, speak, speak of the devil. My God, we were talking Jets. And I see Justin's spider senses are tangling. What's going on, my friend? Hello. What's happening, fellas? How are we doing, sir? Welcome. Welcome to the show. Go ahead and uh, really quick introduce yourself and uh, let everyone know what they can now, where they can read your good stuff. And I'm excited to chat. Sure, yeah. So uh, my name is Justin Freed. Uh, I do some work over at Fansided. You can find me. I'm the editor at the Jet Press, as well as Ebony Bird, although that's not as applicable. That's covering the Baltimore Ravens. But, uh, yeah, find me at the Jet Press. Find me on Twitter at Justin T. Freed. And, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk some Jets here. I uh, get a different perspective. Usually every couple of years we kind of rotate people and who we're talking to. But but uh, our main man, uh, Louis Toronto Jr., we talked to him about 94 times over the last six years. And um, I was like, oh. Looks like we're going to get some new blood. I'm excited because it's going to be a different opinion about this Jets team that is one of the biggest conundrum organizations, I think, in most sports next to the Sacramento Kings I have encountered in aging. Um, obviously, the, the, the big thing is going to be Zach Wilson lining up behind center, um, in which I found a great stat that uh, the, the, the person with the most passes thrown in that organization is Jamison Crowder, which is just incredible to think about. Uh, what's, what's the feel with the Jets this year, Zach Wilson leading the helm? I mean, you got to always say, like, with the Jets, it's always cautious, right? It, it's Right now it's cautious optimism. Uh, I mean, in the past couple years, 
that that optimism has kind of gone away. Uh, I mean, you know, it was, it was prompted by the Adam Gase hire. There really wasn't any optimism within the organization. You always want to try and be positive, but it was pretty difficult to remain positive uh, with, you know, a hire that was doomed from the start. But now it's, it's a completely different feel. Obviously, the belief is that they hopefully have the right people running the organization. There's a lot of belief in Joe Douglas as general manager. There's a lot of belief in Robert Sala as the head coach. And, I mean, there's this cautious optimism surrounding Zach Wilson. Uh, he's a fantastic quarterback prospect. And as, as long as they surround him with the right pieces, then, you know, there's, there's no reason why he can't go on to be successful. So I think that's the, the, the hope right now is you're not, you're not putting your eggs in the basket of the quarterback. You're putting your eggs in the basket of the people running the show and hoping that, you know, they do the right thing, that they surround their quarterback with the right talent and, you know, hopefully create an environment more conducive to success as opposed to, you know, what Sam Darnold had to work with, you know, through the first three years of his Speaking about uh, Sam Darnold, uh, the Jets drafted him only a few years ago in 2018. Why did he jump to a new QB so soon? Me and Ryan talked about this before the draft. We were just confused. We were confused. They never gave him talent, but it seems like given uh, the rookie Zach Wilson a lot. They go out, they go get Corey Davis. They bring in a uh, left guard and Elijah Vera Tucker to help protect him. You know, they bring in Elijah Moore in the second round. Like, what makes – is it the change in the front mistakes do you think yeah I mean the biggest thing is that the old regime Mike McCagnan the old general manager just he wasn't very good at his job uh unfortunately <laughs> he prioritized he didn't he didn't he didn't prioritize uh building around Sam Donald that's why you know they went out and made big splashes in free agency like guys like CJ Mosley they, they they drafted uh you know Quinn Williams third overall and I love Quinn Williams and stuff uh, but they didn't prioritize building around, you know, building an offensive line. They didn't give Sam Darnold weapons. That was a lot of that was on the old regime. Now some of it is on Joe Douglas. Like if you go back to the, cause, cause Douglas was here uh, for one off season where he could have built around, built around Darnold, but that off season was off season was primarily spent just kind of correcting a lot of the McCagnan mistakes. And they could have done more to build around Sam Darnold in that off season. But it, you know, from the looks of it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, Douglas already had one foot out the door in the sense of, you know, I don't think he was fully committed to Sam Darnold from the start. Uh, but the reason, I mean, it was time to move on uh, this offseason. It was 100% time to move on. They made the correct decision. It was a very, very good quarterback class. Sam Darnold was, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's a mystery. He's coming off the worst year of his career, uh, and he has one year left on his rookie deal, you know, plus the fifth-year option. So, really, it didn't make much sense financially, logistically, uh, to, to stick with him, especially given the golden opportunity that they had with the second overall pick. It was time to move on. It's a shame. Uh, you know, ideally they would have been able to figure out what he was before they had to ship him away uh, because, you know, he's still a mystery. There's a chance he could succeed in Carolina if they commit to him, which I'm not sure they will. Uh, but, you know, it, it was time to move on. It was, it was definitely time to move on. They made the right decision. And, you know, now it's, now it's the Zach Wilson era. You know, there was a move that we had pondered here on the show with a few different people that we had. I'm talking draft coverage, and I'm glad Luke brought the drafts up. And obviously by landing Elijah Vera Tucker, I think that's a fantastic pick. That was kind of my fail-safe for the Vikings. We're based out of Minnesota, and I was really hoping they were going to land because I, 
I knew there was no way we were getting Sewell. There was no way we were getting Slater. There's no way we were getting Darisau, I thought. Uh, and we got Darisau. So, I mean, I was happy, but I was set on Elijah Vera Tucker. I thought he did a good job at USC. He helped, you know, turn Keaton Slovis into a third stringer to a top five draft pick. So he's got mm-hmm. the talent, and it, and it kind of offsets this a little bit. But do you think there was ever a thought process of keeping Darnold and drafting a guy like Penny Sewell instead and putting just a mammoth wall with him and Mackay Becton up front? I do think that the new staff, when they came in, they, they evaluated the entire roster. So they, they were looking, you know, at Sam Darnold and they were, I believe there was a consideration that they could uh, keep him. And I know that they did like Sam Darnold. They still are high on him. Uh, you know, Robert Sala, new offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur, they like Sam Darnold's game and they still do believe in him. They really got around to studying those quarterbacks. They, you know, it, it became a belief uh, of, you know, there's, there's two guys in this draft class that are all world talent at quarterback and it's Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. That was kind of the consensus coming out of the Jets organization. Uh, so I don't think that there was ever a serious consideration once they got around to looking at the quarterbacks, but mm-hmm. I'm sure at a time, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely considered, Hey, you know, we like Sam Darnold's game. Uh, you know, what if we give him another year? Now, I'm not sure if that player would have been Penny Sewell. Uh, you know, the biggest issue with that is, you know, Sewell, you know, I, I, he's a left tackle. You, ideally, you'd want to play him at left tackle. And since you already have Mekhi Becton, I'm not sure, you know, I don't, I don't think that they would have loved to move Sewell, or Sewell to right tackle. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that being said, you could have looked to probably trade down in that situation. Because it would just be, you know, it seems like the NFL had a consensus that there were two top quarterbacks as well. Uh, so you wouldn't have had to stay put at two. And you could have just traded down, gotten the best offer for Zach Wilson, whoever wanted to trade up for Zach Wilson. And then, you know, maybe taking a wide receiver or maybe taking, uh, you know, I mean, someone else, whether that was yeah. you know, Rayshon Slater or depending on, you know, depending on how far you fell. But well, I think that would have be been fair, the more likely option. To be fair, too, uh, that. I almost think that almost worked out better because, you know, I, I don't think anyone thought they would have been able to just land Elijah Vera Tucker like that. And he, you know, he can naturally slide in at that guard, no problem whatsoever. So it almost, I, I think it was almost a, a win-win over it, but it was something we'd always ponder of like, man, could you just make this wall? And I, I, I had to throw it out there, but Luke, I, I, yeah. I jumped on you once already. I apologize. It's going to happen some more. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> it's true, I get um, way too hyped. I apologize. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the wide receiver corp. For the last few years, the Jets wide receivers have almost been non-existent except for Jamison Crowder. They bring in Denzel Mims last year. They bring in Corey Davis and Keenan Cole this year and then draft a huge target in Elijah Moore, who me and Ryan both thought were going to go at the end of the first round to like a Green Bay or so. Uh, what should we expect out of this wide receiver core with that rookie uh, quarterback and Zach Wilson? Man, it, it's the deepest wide receiver core that the Jets have had in a very, very <laughs> long time. Uh, a very long time. They are legit five deep at wide receiver right now, which is not something we've been able to say for a long time. They got, you know, Corey Davis, I think, is a, a very, very good player who, you know, people bring up like, oh, he did, he's never had 1,000 yards in a season. Well, he had 984 last year. Uh, and he missed two games, and he was also playing second fiddle to A.J. Brown in a run-heavy offense. So I think that Corey Davis is a very, very good player who, 
you know, is he a number one receiver? What do we, what do we even consider a number one receiver? I think it's an overused term. You don't need a, an all-pro receiver uh, if you have the, you know, the depth that the Jets do. Uh, I mean, Elijah Moore, I'm not sure I've ever seen a player get as hyped up as he has through spring practices. He has looked outstanding. Uh, the Jets believe, they legitimately believe that they have a superstar caliber receiver on their hands in Elijah Moore. Uh, you know, I, I don't say this lightly, and I don't, you know, I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, uh, like hyper, hyperbolic here, but he could be the Justin Jefferson of this draft class, just a very deep draft class, and he just kind of got overlooked. Uh, he was number 16 on the Jets board, uh, Elijah Moore. In fact, they landed three of their top 16 players with Wilson, Barrett Tucker, and Moore. They were stunned that Moore was still available in the second round. They, when they traded up for Barrett Tucker, they did so under the belief that, well, you know, we're not going to get Elijah Moore now because he was a target for theirs at 23. Uh, but when they traded up, they just figured that they weren't really going to get Elijah Moore. So they were stunned that he was still available at 34, and they're still over the moon about it now. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, those two, Denzel Mims, he's been a little slow in, in, in spring practices. He dealt with an illness, so he's still coming along. But, you know, I don't know if he's the best fit for a Mike LaFleur offense, but he still has that natural talent, and he flashed a little bit in his rookie season. So we'll see what he could do. The under-the-radar guy to watch out for is Keelan Cole. Right now, Keelan Cole is running with the starters in, in spring. He was starting ahead of Denzel Mims. They really like uh, Keelan Cole. In fact, the Jets tried to trade for Keelan Cole a couple of times over the past few years, but Jacksonville kept, you know, blocking them. Uh, but they really, really like Keelan Cole, and I think he's going to be a guy that surprises some people this year. But Keelan Cole, that's a good play, too, especially, just, you know, like you mentioned, they tried to trade for him, and oh, they just got him. It was like, cool, thanks, guys, you know. I'm, I'm glad you got rid of him for nothing. That's a sentiment that the, the Vikings do as they – trade a second for Yannick Ngakwe to receive a third back for him, which is the most <laughs> fascinating thing I've ever greatest seen. Trade, greatest trade of the year last year. Yep. My God, I was like, are you guys kidding me? Just keep him and just play the damn guy. Anyway, it's just, ah, so dumb, <laughs> so annoying. Um, one, one thing, too, I always, I always like to, to, to ask about and discuss is we all know that there's a there's – a, there's always a formula where the, the, the young rookie tends to go to the tight end as a quick out if need be while they get used to the speed change, the coverages, the pressure that they get. Uh, Christopher Herndon coming in as the lead guy. Can he be that tight end that Zach Wilson needs to really make this offense continue to run when he doesn't have a weapon in the outfield? Like if, if there's somebody not open out there that, that can make a play? Chris Herndon is a mystery, man. He, he really is a mystery. Rookie season showed a ton of promise. In fact, he, he led all rookie tight ends, I believe, in, in catches and receiving touchdowns. Uh, the only one who beat him in yards was Mark Andrews, and they kind of had very similar seasons. And the hope was that, you know, he would follow that same trajectory as Mark Andrews has. Unfortunately, 2019, uh, he ends up missing the entire season pretty much because first he had a suspension, then he got hurt. Then he came back, then he got hurt again, and he played all told, or I think around two quarters of football in the entire season. Uh, and then it's like, okay, you know, 2019 lost season, coming back in 2020, and now the hope is that, hey, you know, he'll, he'll continue to establish chemistry with Sam Darnold, and he'll, you know, he'll, he'll take off after, you know, what was the disastrous second season. And then he doesn't get hurt, but he, he stays healthy and has one of the worst seasons I've seen in quite some time. I'm not sure what it was. Uh, it's some kind of mental funk. I'm not sure, but you know, there was a point in the season, like halfway through the year, we had more drops than catches. Uh, and that's, that's your starting tight end. 
he was a total mess last season. So where he is right now, I, I don't know. Uh, I know that, you know, the coaching staff still, still sees what they saw in, you know, his rookie season. They watched his rookie tape and they think he can be good, but they also dabbled in the tight end market this off season. They were, they were interested in John Smith before he got scooped up by the Patriots. Um, so I mean, if, if Herndon can ever get out of this funk that he's in, he still has talent. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure how likely that is. And he had a rough spring as well. And, and Ryan Griffin and Tyler Croft were getting first team reps over him. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I again, I, I want to say I'm cautiously optimistic about Chris Herndon, but I don't even think I am anymore. I, I'm not sure what his deal is, but uh, you know, if he can ever get out of that mental funk, then great. But I'm not sure. We're not, we haven't seen it this spring and, and given everything we saw last year, which was a total disaster, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to be super optimistic about him. I think Tyler Croft can be a good player, like kind of like a Nick Boyle role in that offense. Uh, he's a very good run blocker and you know, an underrated pass catcher. If he can stay healthy, he'll be a fine player. But I have a feeling that this time next year or you know, a few months, like in like March of next year, we'll be talking about the Jets you know, maybe looking for a new tight end, uh, you know, unless Chris Herndon can show something this year. Um, a few years ago, you guys brought in uh, Le'Veon Bell, hoping you found your bell cow at running back. That turned out to be non-existent. Um, you guys draft Michael Carter in the fourth round this year. A lot of people had him as one of the top three, top four backs in this draft, and landing him in the fourth round would be a steal. Is this kid going to get a chance to be – the starting running back on this team? Oh, 100%. I mean, and they're going to, they're going to employ a, a running back by committee. That's just the kind of the, the LaFleur way, uh, you know, carrying over what they, you know, what they had success with in San Francisco under Kyle Shanahan. Uh, so they're going to, they're going to have a bunch of different running backs back there, but Carter's going to get plenty of reps. Uh, in fact, he was also getting a lot of first team reps in the spring. And by, I think it was by, by mini camp, he was the first running back out there uh, in, in most team drills. So, yeah, there you go. He's already getting his first team reps. Uh, they're going to use Michael Carter, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson. That's probably the trio right now. Might mix in a little bit of LaMichael Pirine, uh, but he's probably – he's not a great fit for that LaFleur scheme, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't make the team. Uh, but, you know, in terms of Michael Carter, uh, that's another guy, whereas the Jets had him as a day two guy. They had him as a late round two, early round three guy, uh, and he fell all the way to, to the fourth round where they grabbed him. So another guy where – they didn't expect that he'd be there. And they, you know, I think you could watch um, the, the, the video of, of the Jets calling Michael Carter and they literally tell him, they're like, you know, we sweated out this whole third round because they did. They legitimately <laughs> did not believe that he would be there. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm very high on Michael Carter. I think he's going to be a very, very good fit in that Michael floor scheme. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if he has a fantastic season. I also really like Ty Johnson. Uh, he showed some flashes down the stretch last season. You know, once they finally gave some snaps to him and, and went away from, you know, the 50-year-old Frank Gore, uh, it was nice to see Ty Johnson and some fresh legs out there. He was good. Uh, he made the most of his touches, so I, I hope that he gets some more playing time this year. And then Tevin Coleman, he's just, you know, he's a veteran of the group, obviously has experience working under uh, Michael Floor and in that scheme. And, you know, he's had some injury troubles as well, but they don't have a, a, you know, a Christian McCaffrey back there and Alvin Kamara, but you don't need to look at the success that Kyle Shanahan's had with the guys, you know, it's likes of Raheem Mostert uh, and, and, and Kevin <laughs> yeah. Coleman and, and Jeff Wilson, you know, so, so you don't need that, that Ezekiel Elliott, that, that, you know, that 
bell cow back that, you know, they tried with Le'Veon Bell. Uh, you don't necessarily need that. As, and I think that, you know, they're going to get production out of that running back room uh, as long as the, the offensive line holds up, which, you know, let's hope it does. Tevin Coleman is like one of the most, oh, hey, he's just some dude guys I've ever seen in a while. He just kind of shows up and does his job and it's just, all right, cool, thanks, man. And he just kind of leaves and then he goes to the next one. He's like, hey, how's it going, guys? Like, hey, man, why don't you just run a little bit? All right, cool, thanks, man. Perfect guy. It's a perfect fit for a, for a system like that. Like I, I would 110% agree tenfold that Tevin, like if you need that kind of a guy, yeah, just get Tevin Coleman. Ah, oh, he'll be great. He'll be fantastic. Um, last thing I want to ask you about on the offense here, and, and we kind of touched it a little bit, obviously, with that initial Penny Sewell-type draft question, but this O-line has got to do its job to keep Zach Wilson upright because teams are going to come in. They're going to be going for the rookie. That's just how it goes. I, I had already said, you know, Mekhi Beck and Elijah Vera Tucker, I think it's a fantastic combination. Um, with the rest of the roster lining up, a couple un, under, uh, undrafted free agents bringing into the side here. What's the thought process on keeping Zach Wilson upright and this O-line doing its job? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's, it's everything. You know, you, you, you're a quarterback, a rookie quarterback's not going to find success if he's getting hit, you know, every two seconds, every three seconds when he drops back. Uh, so the offensive line is, you know, as much as the receiving core is, is improved, the offensive line remains the most important thing. I mean, you look at a, you look at a team like the New York Giants or something, or even the Carolina Panthers, right, with, with Sam Darnold. They have good weapons in, in, in the offense, but the offensive lines are a train wreck. Uh, so, I, you know, I fear for, for Daniel Jones this year. I still fear for Sam Darnold. Uh, but, you know, in regards to the Jets, yeah, that left side of the offensive line is looking fantastic. Uh, you know, Makai Beckton was better than anyone really expected in his rookie season. People, you know, thought he'd be somewhat of a, of a project. Uh, he steps in and was already the, best, the Jets' best offensive lineman last season. Uh, and, you know, arguably one of the, the, the best young left tackles in football. Unfortunately with him, you still have to worry about the injury concerns. He's dealing with another foot injury now. Uh, but not another, but a foot injury right now. And, you know, that they hope that he'll be back by training camp. But, you know, given his size, that's it's a little bit of a concern, uh, and he had some nagging injuries last year. It's been nothing major, just small nagging injuries that have kind of, you know, kept him off the field at times, and it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, but if he's healthy, that, that left side of the offensive line is, is going to be really, really good with Mekhi Beckton and Elijah Barrett Tucker. As for the rest of the group, uh, you know, Connor McGovern was, was kind of their quote-unquote big free agent signing last season for the offensive line. Uh, he, he had some success in Denver, and they brought him over. He struggled a little bit last year. He, the first half of the year was pretty rough. Uh, he came on a little bit better in the second half. They hope that he's going to be a much better fit in the LaFleur scheme, and that's kind of the, 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 the vibe with the rest of the offensive line. Uh, him and George Fang, who they both they signed them both last offseason. Uh, both of them didn't have the best 2020s with the Jets, uh, but they're both super athletic linemen who are very good in zone-blocking schemes, and that's kind of the, that's the scheme they're going to be running under Mike LaFleur. So the hope is that both of those guys will be better in this new scheme. Now, it could be even better if they go out and sign Morgan Moses, who they've been connected to as well. Uh, if they sign Morgan Moses, that is a huge, huge boost, even though he's not as perfect of a fit as someone like George Fant. Uh, he's just a much better player. And that will allow George Fant, you know, he's, he'll, be, he'll be an expensive swing tackle, but it'll allow him to be a swing tackle and give you some insurance in case Mekhi Beckton gets injured. Because right now, they're working with Connor McDermott as their backup left tackle, and that's that's not good. Uh, <laughs> <Mekhi> <laughs> any time, and you got to slide in Connor McDermott at left tackle. 
oh, man, just might as well start James Morgan in that case because I'm praying for Zach Wilson. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the, the hope is that you're going you're gonna to rely on that left side of the offensive line uh, and that a guy like Connor McGovern be, can, you know, can, can take another step in the Michael Floor system. And then you'll readdress the line next year and continue to, to build this wall, as they say. <laughs> I want to transfer over to the defensive side of the ball for a little bit. You guys bring in the free agent from Cincinnati, um, Carl Lawson, to be that right defensive end. Should we expect the great things out of him like we saw in Cincinnati last year as one of the premier young pass rushers in the league? Oh, man, I hope so. You know, that that was a going into free agency. Carl Lawson was one of the guys that probably maybe, maybe the guy that I wanted the most. Uh, just a fantastic player who, you know, he didn't rack up the sacks in Cincinnati, but he finished top five in pressures. Uh, I think he was a top five in, in, in PFF pass rush grade. He was phenomenal at, uh, and I think putting him in that Robert Sala scheme and surrounding him with more talent, you know, now he's got Quinn and Williams, you know, rushing alongside him. They went out and signed Sheldon Rankins as well. That defensive line is, is pretty stacked. Uh, and that's the, you know, that's what the, the, the core of a Robert solid defense is, you know, you, you get pressure with the front four. Uh, so I, I think that Lawson, you know, it's, it's silly to say have a breakout season because really last year was his, his best. Of, like he was fantastic last season, but if you look at the sack numbers, I think he only had five. Uh, so, you know, for, for the casual NFL fan, they might see that and, you know, they might not think anything of it. Uh, but I think that that, that sack number is going to climb a lot this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, gets double digits. Uh, he's a fantastic, fantastic player. And under Sala, you know, who's had a lot of success with defensive linemen in the past, you know, Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, uh, D Ford even. I, I, think that, I think that Lawson will really flourish in this system. You know, I feel like that, that front three, front four is going to be the anchor of this offense. And I'm glad you mentioned Carl Lawson, Quentin Williams, Sheldon Rankins. I mean, there's a lot of talent up front. Vinnie Curry back there, uh, he gets some reps. You know, Jonathan Marshall coming with a late-round pick who's not a bad player whatsoever in a sixth-rounder. Is this going to be the anchor of the offense, or are they going to look elsewhere to kind of kind of hold this this defense together? Right. You're absolutely right. It, it all goes to the defensive line. Uh, you know, the, the secondary right now is very thin, especially a cornerback. Uh, it's got to be the most inexperienced group in the NFL. Uh, so they're really going to be relying on that front four to get pressure. Uh, and you got some damn good run stoppers up there. Foley Fadikasi is one of the best run stopping nose tackles in the NFL. And, you know, nose tackles don't get a ton of attention until they, you know, until they get paid. Uh, this, this year's a contract year. So he's been, I believe, a top five, uh, top five in, in, in run defense grade from PFF in the past two seasons. He's been a top 12 interior defensive lineman uh, by PFF standards. So, you know, he, he's looking to have another great season. He's been fantastic. Uh, you know, Quentin Williams is, is one of the best young defensive linemen in the NFL. He was incredible last season. Uh, and, you know, pairing him with, with Carl Lawson, that, that's a damn good duo. You know, that's, that's a great <laughs> duo. Uh, so they, they have depth there as well, which is, you know, that's another Robert Sala specialty because you're going to have right now John Franklin Myers, who was another good player last year. He'll be rotating at edge and on the interior. Like you mentioned, Vinnie Curry. They brought in Ronald Blair from San Francisco. Uh, they have a lot of depth there, not to mention last year's third-round pick, Jabari Zuniga, who missed most of his rookie season with his injury, um, but he's back now. they got guys like Bryce Huff, Kyle Phillips, Nathan Shepard. Like, it's going to be tough to make cuts because they just have so many names out there who, you know, have all shown stuff in the past. 
Um, but yeah, the, that that front four is 100 percent the the core of this defense. If they if they don't succeed, then you know the defense is going to be a mess. Uh, after you guys brought in C.J. Mosley in 2019 from Baltimore, you guys haven't really seen him on the field. He gets hurt in December in 2019. He opts out last year because of COVID. What what's the like, what's the picture we're looking at here? I mean, should we expect uh, what we saw in Baltimore from C.J. Mosley, or is there any worry in the front office that it was kind of a – not a waste bringing him here, but he just, it just didn't turn out what they thought it was going to be? Yeah, I mean, the C.J. Mosley signing, that was a, it was a Mike McCagney specialty, you know. That was uh, – Mosley obviously was one of the best linebackers in football when before he joined the Jets. He had uh, – made the Pro Bowl in, I think, the last four seasons before joining Jets. Four of his first five years in the NFL, he made the Pro Bowl. And, you know, he was a fantastic player, and he wanted to return to Baltimore. Then Mike McCagden came and threw a record-shattering deal, and it was just like, hey, here's all this money. Take it. Uh, and Mosley just couldn't say no. You know, so he, he left Baltimore even though he wanted to return um, just because the Jets offered him so much money. Uh, so, you know, I Obviously, like you said, to this point, we, we barely seen C.J. Mosley. Uh, but when we have seen him, which was for like a good half of football, he was great. Uh, week one, 2019, he was arguably the best player on the field in, that, in the game against the Bills. Then he, then he messed up his groin and pretty much missed the rest of the season. He came back for – they rushed him back for I think it was a week nine game against the, the Patriots. Uh, didn't look like himself, was pulled before the end of the game, and that was it. And then 2020, he opts out. Um, so he's basically missed two seasons in the prime of his career. Uh, and what do the Jets expect from him this year? I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, in spring, he's looked good. I'm not sure he'll ever return to the form that he was, uh, just because, you know, he's missed two years now. He's a little bit older. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit too optimistic to expect him to just come back and, you know, boom, be that, that same Pro Bowl linebacker that he was in Baltimore. Uh, but if he can even regain 75% of that, then that's going to be great. I mean, they're tied into his contract at least through next year as well. Uh, you know, again, thank you, Mike McCagnin. Uh, but, but uh, you know, they're, they're, they're counting on him to kind of be the leader of that linebacker core right now. Uh, you know, they brought in Jared Davis from Detroit, uh, another guy who kind of fits the, the solid scheme. You know, he wasn't amazing with the Lions, but, again, he was playing under Matt Patricia, who you know, is like the Adam Gase of, of the defense. Uh, to be know. fair, no one's good on the lines. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Jared, Jared Davis was—he was just playing in that uh, in that Matt Patricia. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, Matt Patricia is basically the Adam Gase of the defense. The players' careers go to die in Detroit. Uh, and, yeah, I'm saying that as a Jets fan too, so that's that's saying a lot. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely hoping that C.J. Mosley could could return to at least somewhat of his, you know, of his old form this season. And if he does, that, that would be huge for the defense. I'm going to interrupt Ryan for a second. Ryan, you're going to sit down because I already sat down once for you. Sorry? Uh, that young linebacker core, it is very young. Like you said, Jared Davis is coming in. He's only 26. CJ Mobley is pretty young still. You guys have Blake Cashman, who I followed when he played in Minnesota. What What's the expectation of these three young linebackers? Are they going to come in and are they expected to just be that um, to help that not so strong secondary? Or are they going to have learning experience like the non-experience factor that we had in the league so far? The, the one thing that kind of uh, ties all those linebackers together is athleticism. And that's kind of a solid specialty in his defense. You look at what he did with guys like Fred Warner and Quan Alexander in San Francisco. 
you want he wants speedy athletic linebackers who can cover and who have range. That's all of the linebackers that the Jets have. That's the ones that they targeted this offseason, adding Jared Davis, who, you know, he struggled in Detroit, but he's a super athlete. And if he can harness that athleticism, he could be a good player. Uh, and that's kind of what they were looking for with him. With Blake Cashman, man, I, and I know you followed him in Minnesota. Boy, he has had a rough, rough go of it in the NFL. Uh, <laughs> Don't talk about my boy that way. <laughs> just, it's, it's, not even play, it's not even performance. It's just injuries. The guy can't stay healthy, and I feel bad. Uh, but he, you know, he, he, it's actually, it's easy to forget. He actually entered last season as a starter for the Jets. Uh, amazingly, he was ahead of Avery Williamson on the depth chart. And it was like a huge shock. And everyone was like, why? Uh, and then he goes out there the third play of the game or the third play of the season, he gets hurt. Uh, and then he plays, I think like 10 more defensive snaps the rest of the year. So it's just like every time he's been given the ball and to run with it, he's just gotten hurt. Uh, and it's the same thing this offseason because he entered camp as the starting will, and then he got hurt in, in the spring. So now he's gotten no reps, and it's been Hamza Nasruddin, who was their sixth-round pick, who's gotten all the reps, uh, the first-team reps at will. So where does that lead? Yeah! You know, that's he's going to come back for training camp. I, I love Hamza Nasruddin. I think he's going to be a good player. Oh my. Uh, first guy since 2014 to get 100 tackles with Florida State and he gets an injury and mm-hmm. falls to the sixth round. Are you kidding me? Yeah, this that was, that was a steal. Third, like, this is a three-round talent guy, like top three-round guy. Like, this is a steal, I, I love the Nasruddin pick. Loved it. Oh, All right, he has nothing on Blake Cashman, okay? Yeah. Calm down. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was actually going to bring Hamza up. I was like, this dude, I mean, they're, they're like, this, this is going to be the Isaiah Simmons of the draft. And then everyone gets scared. I mean, it's not like he's Landon Dickerson or whatever the hell that guy's name was from Alabama. You mean yeah. the guy with no knees? Yeah. 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 <laughs> the guy who'd be worse off on the on your guys' O-line than you were talking earlier with injuries. Um, you know, right. it's like at least, at least it's not Landon Dickerson. Like, no, man, I, I this this is – I think this guy is going to be a player – and I'm not just saying that because he's got a cool name. You want to talk cool names? Uh, Diablo. What was that guy's name? Diablo. Oh, Divine uh, Diablo. Divine Diablo. Diablo. That's a cool ass name. Yep. This dude is going to be a player. I'm so glad you brought that up. I truly am. God, that's awesome. Yeah. He's stealing the thunder now from Blake Cashman, unfortunately. Uh, well, he's got to have a chip on that shoulder. I mean, Sitting there for oh, the sure. sixth round, I would be pissed with that pedigree that he is. And he was doing it in an ACC conference. It's not like he was playing for, you know, North Dakota State. You know, nothing right. against the, no, the Bison I was very surprised. There. I was very surprised he fell to the sixth. I think, I mean, part of it was definitely the injury concern because, you know, he had that ACL injury uh, at the very end of, of 2019. He, came, he did come back in 2020 and play a couple games on the stretch. Uh, but, you know, obviously a lot of that was that knee injury, and then part of it was also scheme fit. You know, where, where does he fit? I don't think a lot of people or a lot of teams were too keen on him moving a linebacker. I just don't know if they saw him as that type of player, and they, they also didn't see him as, you know, as a prototypical safety just because, you know, he was a little oversized for the position, didn't have uh, the best range, but I think as a, as a will linebacker in that solid scheme, he can really thrive. And I was very surprised that they even took him because, they had just drafted uh, Auburn's Jamie and Sherwood around earlier. And Sherwood <laughs> is another guy who was a safety in college, moving in the linebacker in the NFL. Literally, they doubled up at that exact position. They took uh, like the exact same prototype of a player. 
Uh, but it's telling that even though Nasruddin was drafted later, that he's been getting all the first-team reps over Sherwood. I think Sherwood's going to be more of a player on special teams, uh, whereas Nasruddin, you know, I mean, provided Cashman can't stay healthy, which is a good bet at this, at this stage, uh, I think that he'll be... You Why know, are you guys dogging me so much? No one's dogging your boy, man. No one's dogging your boy. I, 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 I like Blake Cashman. All the, like, the, the 10 games that I've seen of him, he's looked good, you know, but... <laughs> You know, he's seen him play for 10 minutes, Luke. What do you want? I mean... Yeah, I guess. R.I.P. Blake Cashman's career. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if he, he fell if he over like that, he, he fell over like Cashman Kevin Nash and he came in on the hot tag. That man grabbed that leg and dropped so hard. That's, I mean, that's what it looks like. It is what it is, man. Look, Luke, you're, you're doing his Kevin Nash uh, circle Monday Night Raw against the Dudleys. It's, it is what it is, man. Like, I don't know what to say. Oh, man. Cashman is, is tearing his quads or something. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh! <laughs> God, R.I.P. Kevin Nash. We love yeah. you, man. Big sexy over there. <laughs> um, and, and everyone knows, we, look, well, not Luke, but this is a wrestling show, if it was up to me. WrestleCast Radio back tomorrow night. We're going to talk to Tommy Hayashi, Sheeta, and Fury. Match of the year. But, that, but that's for something else. We, we don't need to get into that. Uh, last yeah, I, thing, I, I love it, man. I, I'm a big wrestling fan as well. I love it. Let's go. See, Luke, I told you there's many more. I'm not just the only one, man. <laughs> you're the, you're the only one that knows it as much as you do. That's It's not my fault. I have 10 different Japanese streaming services, okay? Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I stream to Big Japan, and they don't even upload live. Like, I got to wait four months to see Masashi Takeda. You know, it's, it sucks. But I digress. Stardom, I'm telling you, Stardom's fighting with Dragon Gate for the company of the year this year. God bless. Right. Um, but I got to ask you one last thing about this defense before we wrap up. This secondary is kind of like a, like you're pulling out a raffle ticket. They're like Marcus ah. May, Corey Ballantine, Elijah Campbell, Bryce. Like, Ashton I, Davis I, is tight. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're not tight, but this is kind of that, you know, here comes, what, what was it, Rudabaker, Rudabaker, whatever, at the Bad News Bears, where he kind of comes in and he's he's drunk throwing balls and hitting the kids with them. Like, this is what this secondary <laughs> feels like. It scares me half to death. But sometimes that kind of an outgasted crop reminds me a lot of when Seattle threw a bunch of Rando secondary guys out there, and then they turn into the best defensive core in football. What are yeah. we seeing with this Jets secondary? I mean, it's funny that you bring up Seattle because, uh, you know, who was a member of that staff at the time? It was Robert Sala. Uh, that's kind of been his thing, uh, you know, throughout his career. I mean, thankfully, he had some better corners in San Francisco, you know, Richard Sherman, namely. Uh, but Trash. he's always been a guy who relies on his front four and just kind of, you know, tries, I don't want to say wings at a corner, but, but essentially asks his front four to get pressure and, and no pun intended, take pressure off of the cornerback. Uh, and that's kind of what they're hoping for again this year. They have a bunch of young guys in that secondary. Secondary. I mean, if you're not counting Justin Hardy, who is just great, he's is exclusively pretty much special teamer. Uh, the oldest guy in that secondary that's going to have any kind of contribution is Bless Austin, who was a sixth-round pick in 2019. That's, that's, that's the, the elder statesman of that group. So they have a bunch of young guys. They're kind of just throwing, you know, darts at the board and, and hoping that a couple guys stick. Uh, I, I think Bryce it. Hall could be a good player. Bryce Hall was good. 
uh, you know, at Virginia. He was a really good player at Virginia. Then he had a devastating ankle injury, uh, you know, much like Hansa Nasruddin. He was seen as a, as a day two pick. Uh, and then that ankle injury happened, and he fell all the way to the fifth round where the Jets got him. And then you know, it's no surprise that once he recovered from that ankle injury, he immediately took over the starter last year. It was pretty good down the stretch. Uh, unfortunately, he's the number one now, which, you know, it's, he's not a number one <laughs> cornerback. Uh, but I think he's a good player who has some potential and, and, and could be the guy out of that group that develops into a long-term starter. Um, the other guys, you know, right now, right, with Austin has been dealing with some injuries and in OTAs, but he's the, the favorite to start opposite Hall. Uh, if it's not Austin, you'll might, you might see fifth-round pick Jason Pinnock, who they got from Pitt. Uh, he's looked good this spring, and, and so has undrafted rookie Isaiah Dunn. Uh, those are the two that have kind of gotten those first team reps opposite Bryce Hall. You know, even, even the slot, they have, you know, they're going to probably start a rookie there as well. Michael Carter, the second, uh, you know, not to be confused with the other Michael Carter, uh, will probably be the one that's starting right, at least right now is what it looks like uh, in the slot. If it's not him, then it'll be another rookie, six-round pick, Brandon, uh, Brandon Eccles. Or if it's not him, it'll be an undrafted rookie last year, Javelin Gidry. So they just have a bunch of young guys. They're kind of just throwing darts, hoping a few of them stick. Um, I think if any of them are going to stick, it's, it's Bryce Hall makes the most sense. Uh, and, you know, maybe one of either Pinnock or, or Carter or Dunn. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what they're working with right now. The safeties are good. Uh, Marcus May is, is the top six safety in football. Uh, he's a fantastic player. And, you know, you can make the, the argument that he's better than Jamal Adams, just saying. Uh, you can cer- certainly make the argument after last season. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's, he's an exceptional player. Hopefully he gets his long-term extension. That's, you know, it's coming soon. Hopefully, uh, they franchise tagged him and that's been a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a concern, uh, just, you know, what his contract status is, but you know, on the field, he's a fantastic player. Uh, and they also, they went out and signed LaMarcus Joyner. Uh, and that's kind of an under the radar signing because, you know, it's it's easy to forget. He was a really good player with the Rams. In fact, I think it was 2017. He was PFF number two safety in all of football. Uh, and then, you know, the, the Raiders scooped him up and they, they raided him up because John Gruden and company and Paul Gunther, and they saw him as a, state, as, as a, as a slot corner. Uh, so they moved him to slot corner in 2019. He was terrible. And rather than move him back to safety in 2020, they doubled down and kept him at slot corner, and he, he was even worse. Uh, so, you know, the Jets saw that, and they're like, all right, well, Obviously, this guy's not a slot cornerback. Obviously, he's a safety with slot flexibility. Uh, so let's move him to that position. Let's have him play safety. And right now, he's probably going to be the Jets' starting free safety. Uh, you mentioned Ashton Davis. I like Ashton Davis. He had a bit of an up-and-down rookie season uh, before he, he ended up getting hurt. Um, he's a guy who's super athletic, and if he can harness that athleticism, he could be good. Uh, but, you know, he, he looked like a rookie in, in 2020. He really did. And right now they're kind of envisioning him as that third safety, which, which does have a role uh, in a Robert Solid defense. They use three safeties quite a bit. So it's not like Ashton Davis is just going to be an afterthought. Um, but right now it looks like the two starting safeties are going to be Marcus Joyner and Marcus May, which I'm very happy with. You know, Joyner can even look, you know, half as good as he did with the Rams um, and at least twice as good as he did with the Raiders. Then he could be a good player. Um, you know, but the corners, obviously, that's, that's the big mystery. It's, you know, are any of these guys going to step up? Uh, you know, you hope that the front four alleviates some of the pressure off of them, but, you know, it, it, it very well could be, uh, you know, it could be one of the worst cornerback groups in the NFL, you know, at the end of the year. So we're hoping that a few of these guys step up, but it's, it's far from a guarantee. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I think this team is finally turning the right corner. 
Um, you know, I haven't seen this team do something since I won money in Vegas betting on uh, Mark Sanchez to beat Tom Brady in the playoffs. Shout out to Alex, <laughs> my co-host of WrestleCast, who didn't didn't agree with me. But that's his fault. Um, and, and shout out to Teton Saltes, who sounds like the most NXT name I've ever heard in my entire life. I got to ask you, <laughs> before we wrap her up here, uh, two questions I'm going to ask you, because we're about to partake if everybody is, is game in the biggest Uber facts that has happened in the history of sportscast radio. But I got to ask you first and foremost here, what's the record at the end of the year? What's your prediction for this team? I think if they can win six games, you know, six and 11, it's weird saying that with the 17 oh, schedule. I don't we're, like we're, it. Everyone's, uh, everyone's hit so far this year. We're nine for nine. I'm not doing a six and 10 or 11 and five. There you go. I love it. <laughs> nice. Nice. It, I, it hurts. I was about to, I'm like six and 11. It hurts my brain <laughs> to even say that. Uh, but you know, I, I'm not expecting playoffs, right? It's, 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 you know, it's unrealistic to expect a two win team last year. Uh, and arguably, a, you know, a two-win team that got a little lucky. Um, also, you know, just, they, they were better than a two-win team last year, like at least talent-wise. It was just the coaching staff was so bad. Uh, but it, it's, still, it's still a little unrealistic to expect them to win a bunch. So I'd say six or seven games if they can win, you know, six and 11, seven and what is that, 10, uh, <laughs> think about it. Uh, but if, 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 that, if, they, if they finish the season like that, cool. You know, it all depends on how they get there. If they get there because Zach Wilson looks really good and the rest of the team around him isn't so great, <laughs> then I'm, all, I'm okay with that. If they get there because Zach Wilson really struggles and, and you know, maybe the team uplifts them, it's a little less, you know, great. But if, as long as the young guys look good, as long as Zach Wilson is showing signs that he could be that franchise quarterback, uh, you know, Mekhi Beckton stays healthy, the offensive line looks better, um, if, you know, if, if those things happen, then then great. Then I don't really, you know, I don't care if they win four games or if they win ten games. Um, it's just about progress. Like, and I know Jets fans hate that because it's been about progress for years. You know, they haven't made the playoffs since since the Mark Sanchez era. Uh, you know, they did go ten and six in, in 2015, and then you know they were ten and five going to week 17. But you know, I digress. Uh, you know, it's it, 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 I, I, Jets fans want they want a playoff mandate, right? They they want to say you know we ought to make the playoffs this year, but you have to realistically look at the team and realistically look at the roster and be like you know there there are still holes. You know, you look at cornerback, you look at the offensive line still a work in progress. Like this this team is a work in progress. So if they can win six seven games and they do so on the back of, of Zach Wilson and the young guys, then then I'm all for it. Then I'll, I'll be happy. Here. Uh, before we wrap up here, we have a, we have a tradition we play with all of our guests, and uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna grab uh, Danny, who's been waiting patiently. Uh, we've been having a good time. It is what it is. Uh, if if you would like to dabble in a game of Uber facts with us before we wrap up with you tonight, sure, let's go for it. Let's do it. Obviously, let's 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 real quick grab this. I, I see I see you, Jordan. I know what the deal is. Stump the slob, man. We're bringing it back. Stump the slob. And let's go to this real quick, too. Danny, are you with us, sir? Yo, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can. I apologize for the delay. Um, I, I would like to invite you, as we wrap up with our previous guests, if you also would like to jump in and play a game of Uber Facts with us real quick before we discuss the uh, other side of the New York football team, the Giants. Yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. All right. 
ladies and gentlemen, this is this is a giant game of Uber Facts here tonight. So let me get my ducks in a row as we hit you with this. Uber Facts, the most unimportant things you'll never need to know. So in case anyone hasn't heard of Uber Facts, what this is, is this is a game where I'm going to give all of you four facts. Three of these actually correct. One of them is completely made up. You have to spot which is the fake fact. With that being said, uh, I'll read the four. Danny, I'll have you give the first answer. Justin, I'll have you come in second. Jordan will have you third. And Luke, my co-host, will have you come in last. Let's play a game of Uber facts. The first fact is this. The art of avoiding certain tasks by pretending you don't know how to do them is called strategic incompetence. The second fact. The last time Austria went to war in the Austro-Perugian War, they sent 80 soldiers and 81 came back. As they came home with an Italian soldier who they befriended, he wanted to live in Austria. Number three, on March 13, 1919, a letter from a New Orleans serial killer said he would kill again at 15 minutes past midnight, but would spare the occupants of any place where a jazz band was playing. That night, every dance hall was filled to capacity, and no one was murdered. And the fourth fact, a French kiss is called an English kiss in France. Danny, what is the fake fact, sir? Ah, that's tough, man. Um, (laughs) The early favorite's got to be people in France calling it an English kiss, but uh, I could see myself overthinking that. Uh, Now, I'm going to stick with that. People in France calling a French kiss an English kiss. All right, Justin, what do you got for us? What's your answer? So as you're going through that, I was trying to do some process of elimination. Uh, I I think two and three, they have to be true. There's no way that, I mean, look, I don't know you, but I assume you didn't just make that up. That seems <laughs> like a bit of a stretch. So it's got to be either one or four. And I think I'm going to go with Danny here. Like, I, I actually, I live in Germany uh, and I, I've been to France and I've, I've you know, granted, I'm not kissing many French people, uh, but I, I haven't heard that used, and I feel like that's just that's just wrong. That just that seems like what, like they don't call them English fries there. I, I feel like it's just I feel like that they don't do that. So I'm I'm am sticking with four as well. Well, let's hope for uh, the sake of one of the best goalkeepers in uh, Neuer that you are correct there, sir. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, you're up next, sir. You know, I like to always expand my knowledge on these uh, these topics. I will tell you the the jazz one. Uh, I'm I'm concerned about the year, but I know that is a true I know that is a true gimmick. Um, so so I want to say that is that should be a safe one. The 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 other ones that's where it gets fuzzy. I think I kind of roll with the guys here. This one seems like a layup, and it pisses me off because of which. But I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> lean with the guys, and I think I think we're all gonna be English kissing each other for the wrong reasons here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Luke, you are up next. I'm going to go with the Jazz one because I'm with Jordan. I think you changed the year. Okay. Uh, you guys are all smart to stay away from the first one. The art of avoiding certain tasks by pretending you don't know how to do them is called strategic incompetence. You were right for that one. That's how I get through at my job. That's, yeah, exactly. Come on. <laughs> we work retail otherwise. Like, <laughs> that's how that works. <laughs> um, I have to say for the majority of the group, Luke, I apologize. I didn't change any years. That is completely true. On March 13th, 1919, that really did happen. Nobody was born in New Orleans, which was fantastic, which leaves us down to two. 
Um, and unfortunately, for the sake of the the, the, slump, the Schwab, Jordan, uh, Austria had nothing to do with it. Uh, it was Luxembourg who was sent, sent wow. 80 soldiers in, and 81 came back because some dude from Italy was like, nah, man, I want to be homies, and then they live with them. Uh, so therefore, winner, winner, chicken dinner, you can call this guy the winner, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, wait. That was uber family They do call it the English kiss? Yeah. That's, I, I even that's wild. To, safe. Um, to, to those of you, to those of you who have taken the L here, I just give you this. Oh, my man just started throwing babies out the window. We was catching them. Unlike Aguilar. So I apologize to all my Aguilars out there. Uh, not catching them. Catching the L, though. That is okay. As we wrap up here, a boss move to the Giants. Justin, once again, plug away, my man, for everything you got. I'm going to have to hit you up about the wrestling because I, I got a wrestling show. And we have some wild things we do with some, uh, some guests that we always meet. But plug everything you got for all the listeners one more time there. For sure, yeah. I mean, you could, you know, you could follow me at uh, at Justin T. Freed on Twitter. You see my stuff at uh, thejetpress.com, which is a part of the Fan Sided Network. If you happen to also be a Baltimore Ravens fan, which I feel like it's not the core demographic here, uh, but I do do work as well <laughs> on uh, on Ebony Bird, which is another part of the Fan Sided Network. And you know, I'll, hey, we got to cover the Ravens at some point, man. <laughs> Right, there you go. So if, if anybody is still listening from the Ravens uh, or is, you know, tuning in for a future Ravens episode, then, yeah, you know, check me out there. Uh, but, yeah, other than that, that's, that's pretty much it. Awesome, man. I greatly appreciate you coming on. We will uh, – I'm sure, sure we'll talk again soon, and thanks again for coming on, man. We appreciate it. For sure. I appreciate it, guys. Justin Fry coming out for the Jet Press. And we are moving in, my God. First and foremost, once again, I need to extend my sincere gratitude uh, to Mr. Danny Friedman, who, who hung on with us, as I said, at ah, 10.35, we should be done. And then somehow wrestling got caught up. And for those of you who listen to this show, know that once wrestling is brought up, I can't shut my damn mouth. And uh, from there, it just escalates. So I apologize uh, for taking up your time, but I'm glad you stuck with us. But I'm glad you played some Uber facts with us. Danny, real quick, plug everything you got, my man, for all of our listeners. Yeah, well, first off, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, so for those of you that don't know, I write for G-Men HQ, which is a New York Giants page for Fansided. Um, I also cover all NFL for Fansided, which I'm excited to start. Um, yeah. Right now, I'm a senior at Indiana University, um, looking to complete my degree this coming fall. Um, I'm a diehard Giants, Knicks, Yankees, and Manchester United fan. Hey. Um, I'm a New York kid, born and raised, and uh, I'm happy to be here. I was, I was going to say, man, you sound a lot like a guy. I, I, did, I, I did pro wrestling in the Midwest from, like, 2004 to 2017, and I had a buddy who was from Mount Vernon. Oh, okay. And I, yeah. did, I, just, <laughs> I was like, damn, this guy's New York is F. Let's go. <laughs> this is going to rock. I'm excited, man. Um, and I got to ask you this right off the bat. I know I just told you I'm excited. But I know Luke will probably dive in more on on the quarterback side. How excited has Daniel Jones got to be that his team is not only healthy, but these guys grabbed him Kadarius Toney in the draft, and he's got a real weapon. Aside from the guys they drafted, which were, or they, they signed, but what's the excitement level on Kadarius Toney coming to New York? Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about Toney. I, I think he's going to be a great fit in the Giants' offense. Uh, it might not be one of those situations where he's going to come in and start right away necessarily, 
Uh, the Giants have some good receivers now. Uh, they went out and signed Kenny Galladay, like you talked about. We got Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton coming back. So Tony's definitely going to have his work cut out for him. But if you watch his highlights at Florida, all you see is an electric playmaker. This guy can really do anything with the ball in his hands, and he can make any guy miss any point of the field. I think he's going to be a huge help for Daniel Jones and the whole Giants offense. He should be used in a variety of roles with Jason Garrett if he can put it together. He should be used as a as an all-purpose weapon, he could be a punt returner, he could be a kick returner, could be a receiver and a running back. He even was a quarterback at Florida, so he's very versatile and dynamic. He's a terrific athlete. Um, I think you're going to see him a lot on the offense in a variety of roles, whether it's catching bubble screens, running uh, jet sweeps around the edge, going deep and taking safeties off the top. So I'm really excited to watch him this year. With Evan Ingram as your guys' premier tight end, what kind of role is Kyle Rudolph going to play in this offense? Me in this offense, me and Ryan are avid uh, Vikings fans, so we were sorry to see him go. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for Rudolph to come to New York. The Giants gave him a two-year, twelve million dollar deal. Uh, Rudolph came in and uh, actually, when he was signing with the Giants, his his physical didn't go as fully expected, and uh, the Giants' medical staff, led by Ronnie Barnes, kind of were concerned enough about his foot that they felt that surgery was the best option. With that, the team chose not to change his contract at all. But uh, So Rudolph got some unexpected off-season surgery, so he hasn't really played yet in OTAs or minicamp. But I think he should come in and right away challenge Evan Engram for every snap on the football field. Uh, Evan Engram had arguably the worst season of his career last year, despite making the Pro Bowl. Kyle Rudolph is the definition of a veteran. He's going to be a great target in the red zone. He's six six, and you can't really teach his size. He's got as steady hands as it comes. <laughs> um, if Rudolph can really find, refine that 2016-2018 form when he was putting up seven, eight, and four touchdowns and over 530 yards all three years, he'd be a huge boon to this offense. The Giants really haven't had a truly steady and reliable tight end in over a decade now. Um, so they've really kind of been plugging in guys here and there at the position, but Evan Engram, it's a, it's a do-or-die year for him. He's in a contract year. The Giants picked up his fifth-year option, so he's really going to have to step up, and uh, so far, they've had, they say he's had a great training camp or great offseason, but uh, really, none of that matters until the lights come on in September, so. What's the thought process behind the running back? Obviously, Saquon Barkley had, you know, freak injury last year. Devontae Booker's here now to back him up. They grabbed Gary Brightwell in the sixth round this year and have a couple other guys that can fill it out. Was that one of those things where it's just, look, it happened. We're not worried about it. The workload's going to be fine. Saquon's going to, you know, he's going to run it back like Saquon, as they say. Or is there kind of some slight fear that we can't overwork the guy? I think there's definitely more concern with the latter. I, I don't think you're going to see Saquon Barkley guy putting up 2,000 all-purpose yards right away. I think the Giants and especially Coach Judge are going to be very cautious with his recovery and kind of slowly reintegrate him back into the offense. Now, with that said, obviously, if he's fully healthy, which by all indications he will be, he is head and shoulders the most talented guy, not just in the running backs room, but probably on the whole roster. He's the Giants' superstar player, and there's simply no one with his talent that could take any run or any catch 50 yards to the house. So if Barkley can show in training camp, he still has that same explosion, power, and elusiveness that made him such a threat his first two seasons. 
I think there's no reason not to believe he'll come back to full form. However, I'm not sure if that'll be immediately right away. Like you said, the Giants went out and got Devontae Booker. They they drafted Gary Brightwell. They also signed Corey Clement. Um, so I think that's kind of an indication. They added four different running backs this year, also with Rykel Armstead, that maybe they're not going to give Saquon the full snaps that he used to get immediately right away. I think you could see some situation where maybe he will be just a, a two-down back to start the year, slowly get his legs back under him. So I think it's something definitely interesting to watch, but I think you're really going to have a full picture of what to expect Saquon-wise with his health come week three, week four. Last year you guys took Andrew Thomas in the first round. with like, It was like pick five or six, I believe. He didn't have a great rookie year at that left tackle. Is he going to be able to live up to the hype of a top ten pick that they thought he would? You know, I mean, I think Andrew Thomas should. He was the number four pick last year. Um, arguably didn't have the best rookie season out of the big four tackles with Makai Becton, uh, Jedrick Wills, and uh, Tristan Wirfs. However, if you watch his film and watch every snap on the All-22, this guy got significantly better over the last eight weeks of the season. His sack and penalty numbers went down significantly. His technique and hand placement was much better. On top of that, the Giants also fired their, uh, their offensive line coach midseason last year, Mark Colombo, who was a Jason Garrett uh, guy from Dallas. So with that, they uh, brought in Dave DiGuglielmo in season, to kind of change things up, and uh, it actually appeared that despite his grisly attitude that uh, he seemed to make some positive changes with Thomas, and he got really better as the season went on. He did obviously have some struggles, and there were some bad moments here and there. Um, his sack numbers aren't great, but when you look at his first eight weeks compared to his last eight weeks, there's significant, tremendous growth, and there's a lot of excitement for the future. I, I would say he's probably the Giants' best lineman in several years, I think Kevin Zeitler was a good, great lineman for them for a few years. But Thomas's upside really is high. He was a terrific player at, uh, at Georgia, and there's really no reason he shouldn't be the Giants' left tackle for years to come. You know, you mentioned earlier, obviously, that this wide receiver core is is something nice now. I mean, obviously, you guys had seen prominence with having Odell there, and he left, and things, injuries happened, and people got, you know injury-ridden, yada, yada, yada. But now you guys got some weapons. John Ross, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton. We talked about Kadarius Tony, Sterling Shepard. I think Dante Pettis is, is a decent decent player. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin's even sitting back there yeah. somewhere on the totem yeah. pole. Is there excitement, actually, that there's some weapons with this wide receiver core that's going to do something to help Daniel Jones? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the first time. This is Daniel Jones' third season, and the first two years, you kind of look at that roster, and there's really it shouldn't come as a major surprise to anyone that he didn't have great passing numbers his first two years. He regressed from year one to year two, which is never ideal. However, when you look at his combination of injuries and just poor plays, a poor play from up front last year, along with every receiver just collectively not doing their part last year, he struggled with running routes, catching catch, making pass, catches in traffic, um, kind of stepping up on third down, taking anyone deep or making any yardage after the catch. So kind of putting that all together, simply the receivers and the running backs and tight ends collectively did not do nearly enough to help Daniel Jones out. Uh, this year, I think on paper, yeah, the Giants have maybe more weapons than an aircraft carrier, but 
that really means nothing right now if their offensive line isn't figured out and isn't going to be solidified. But with that, I think Jones has absolutely no excuses. It's a now-or-never chance for him. He's got to prove he's the guy for next year and the next 10 years, hopefully. So uh, I think these receivers should be able to get it done. I like this tight end room. If Saquon's healthy, there's no reason all these guys shouldn't succeed together. You took my question. My question was going to be, is this a Daniel Jones make-or-break year? Absolutely. I think it's pretty obvious that most quarterbacks, you kind of know where you're going to get by year three. And uh, this is year three, so we're really going to find out who he is. I think his rookie season obviously had some turnover issues, but there was just too much promise to ignore. Last season, the offense was arguably the worst in my lifetime the last 20 years. Uh, any offense ranked 31st is just unacceptable, and uh, they're not scoring 20 points. So it's been a struggle, but, um, yeah, I think the Giants have made some moves that indicate maybe they're not fully sold on Daniel Jones. Granted, they haven't given a backup to really challenge him. I'm not – no disrespect to Mike Glennon, but I think he will not take Daniel Jones' job anytime soon. However, though, the Giants, when they drafted Kadarius Toney, they traded back in the first round from 11 to 20. They traded with the Bears, who moved up to get Justin Fields. And with that, the Giants got their first-round pick next year. That's the biggest draft capital they've had since the Odell Beckham trade, like we talked about before. So the Giants now have two first-round picks next year. They have two second-round picks, and they have two fourth-round picks. They have six picks in the first eight rounds which uh, is going to be an interesting thing to work with. Actually, I take that back. They have seven picks in the first four rounds. So it's some serious draft capital they're going to be working with. I'm excited. But if Daniel Jones can't correct his turnover issues this year, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they replace him next year and either have the draft pick high enough to take a quarterback or they can package them together to take one. Ooh, shout-out to Keaton Slovis. Second time he's going to get mentioned tonight. Who could be a – could be a Daniel Jones replacement, I'm just saying. But but we don't want to go there. We want to think positivity. And when I think positivity, I think the fact that Aziz Ojolari from Georgia was sitting there in round two is almost one of those like, hi, sir, let me shine your shoes. And you click your heels and you gift wrap something and give it to you guys. Yes, sir. It kind of goes back to Kadarius Tony. Is there excitement with this? Getting Ojolari in the second? I, I, I think Aziz Ojolari wasn't just one of the best picks in the whole draft. I think he was maybe the top steal in this draft. Ojolari had absolutely no business falling to 30, let alone oh the whole God. round. I thought that guy was – I would have been very happy with him at 11. I would have been happy with him at 20, and I would have been happy with him at 42. If you were to tell me the Giants were to trade back twice – and have three different chances to take Ojolari and still get them on that fourth pick, even though it's still the second round. That's a home run. The Giants got a first and a second round pick while getting two of their top targets. Absolute position and need. The Giants need a blue goose pass rusher or something Dave Gettleman's talked about for years. Ojolari should be that guy. You know, he's 21 years old. He's young. He literally turned 21 last week. So he's going to be 21 going into year one. He's got freakish athletic ability. He's got all the physical intangibles that should make him a great player off the edge. And he has the pedigree in the SEC. He's the reigning defensive player of the year. He led the conference in sacks and tackles for a loss. I think this guy's going to be a stud and the best, truly the best defensive pick the Giants have made maybe in the last five to ten years. Um, 
you guys brought in Blake Martinez, I think, last year to lead that linebacker core. Um, you guys have some young players there. Uh, should Is this going to be like the core of your defense? Secondary is not the greatest. You guys do have Jabril Peppers. Um, and then you guys got Leonard Williams up for Lawrence. But that linebacker core, you guys got a lot of young talent there. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of young talent at the linebacker position. Um, the only concern, though, is there's a lot of unproven commodities. And there's a lot more waiting for production from a lot of these guys than them stepping up and being the guy themselves. You kind of look at two guys in O'Shane Zimenez and Lorenzo Carter. They're both entering year four and year three of their NFL careers. They both were out for the season last year in weeks four and five, so we didn't really get to see them play together. Uh, for It was really only a quarter of the season. But, um, yeah, those guys have struggled to stay healthy. Blake Martinez was an absolute beast in the middle for the Giants last year. He was a rock. Best middle linebacker since Antonio Pierce in 2007. Um, I think this defense can have a strength at the middle linebacker position. Um, I think Tate Crowder is going to be a great player. He was a steal. He was Mr. Irrelevant in last year's draft, really performed well and had a game-winning touchdown in week six, Giants' first win of the year. I think uh, Tate Crowder should start next to Blake Martinez. And then behind them, they've got solid depth for once. They went out, they got Reggie Ragland for cheap. I think Ragland's a tough-nosed, solid veteran. That's exactly what the Giants need at back, a linebacker. And then with him, they're moving Carter Coughlin from the edge to the inside. He'll still be able to play off the edge. But for now, Coughlin's moving to the inside. All reports have been he's been doing really well in camp so far. And then, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential there for that group to turn into a strength this year. I think it's an underrated crew. There's a lot of young talent. And, if all of them can kind of mesh together and find a way to hit home and create a consistent pass rush and stop guys in pass coverage, it could be a true force for this defense. We, we kind of talked, uh, Luke mentioned the secondary a little bit. James Bradbury, Dory Jackson, Logan Ryan, Jabril Preppers. Not, you know, they're, they're definitely not, and, and not to rag on them, this is definitely an upgrade over what the Jets are running that we've just got done discussing before this, but there's there's some holes in this this secondary. I mean, Rodarius Williams comes in as a sixth rounder who could get clock. Xavier McKinney, second rounder from last year. Julian Love's there. Is this a worry for the team, or is this one of those don't worry, name value doesn't matter type things? I mean, honestly, you said it to start off, and I have to admit it's the first thing I'm going to disagree with you about. But uh, I truly think this defense strength this year is going to be the secondary. Let's go. Let's go. I think last year James Bradbury played at an all-pro level. Watch the film, and the stats don't lie there as well. He was a stud on the outside. He was locking up every receiver one week in, week out. It really didn't matter who. Stepped up every week and really blanketed every guy. Giants missed him tremendously in uh, Sunday night football against the Browns. He missed it due to COVID protocol. And then besides that, they now had last year, when you have guys like fifth-round pick and Corey Ballantyne, Ryan Lewis, who's an, a journeyman, and then guys like Isaac Giotum, who's probably a fifth-string, third-string cornerback, and these are your guys on the starting outside, you can't really expect much success. However, now, I mean, you got a Dorian Jackson. You got a three-year, $39 million deal. I think Adoree's as good as the number two cornerback the NFL has to offer right now. Adoree only played three games last year, but if he's healthy, he's as talented and as skilled as any corner in this league. I truly believe that. He was a 2017 number one pick. Obviously, his draft status is pretty irrelevant at this point, 
But with that, he's a very talented player. He was a part of a great Titans defense with Logan Ryan in 2019 that took that, that, took that team to the AFC Championship and almost went to the Super Bowl, honestly. Um, with that, now the Giants had drafted Darnay Holmes in the third round last year. He's going to run the, the slot uh, nickelback position. Alongside him, they took Aaron Robinson in the third round this year. Uh, Robinson's from UCF. He's a feisty feisty cornerback who loves to tackle and wrap guys up. And then uh, now you got, like we said before, a guy like Isaac Yadam, instead of being your number two across Bradbury, he's your number four going up against depth receivers instead of guys like Amari Cooper or, or C.D. Lamb on any given week. And then I'm not even going to start with the safeties because I think the safeties have to be the Giants' most accomplished and deepest position on the whole roster. I think uh, Logan Ryan was one of the best signings of the Giants last season. He's a terrific leader in the back. And he's an antro role-like player for the Giants' defense. Hey, antro role, let's go. Yeah, classic. Um, Jabril Peppers finally stepped up last year and really put it together for his best career season. He's heading into a contract year now, uh, something I really would love to see the Giants extend because he deserves it. Um, I think Peppers is going to keep elevating, and he's going to ascend in Pat Graham's defense. I think he's one of those guys that they love to use as a pseudo-linebacker, bring him down into the box, use him off the edge as a rusher. I think, obviously, he's not Jamal Adams-esque, but I think he's he's a very talented, multi-dimensional defender. And then also now we haven't even talked about Xavier McKinney. Now, McKinney last year was an All-American safety from Alabama. He was a giant second-round pick from uh, – 2020, and uh, another guy kind of similar to uh, Aziz Ojolari. Most analysts pegged him as a first-round pick, mm-hmm. and uh, he slipped out of the first round. The Giants nabbed him at the top of the round. It was pretty similar to them taking Landon Collins in 2015. They, they kind of got an Alabama safety who was arguably the best in the draft that shouldn't have fallen to the second round. Uh, unfortunately for McKinney, uh, he broke his foot during training camp, which actually caused the Giants to sign Logan Ryan. But McKinney came back, and then he played pretty well his last four games in his rookie year, and then he actually caught the Giants' game-winning interception against the Cowboys Week 17. Uh, that could have been the pick that sent them to the playoffs if Doug Peterson didn't decide to bench Jalen Hurts, but that's a separate story. Um, with that, they also got Julian Love, who should back up Jabril Peppers. Julian Love's a third-year guy who's been moving around between corner and safety, and uh, he's a very – high football IQ player from Notre Dame who's smart, sound, and tough in the secondary. So I really think the Giants have four legit safeties this year that they can rotate and move around. You're going to see a lot of three high safety looks, a lot of guys cranking down, moving up some disguises. I'm really excited for the secondary, and I, I kind of hope they prove you guys wrong this year. No, and, and I do too. Like, I, I always, my, my thing is always I want positivity with these because, you know, you get to the point where, you know, we're, we're Minnesota guys. NFC North will go last. We have to talk to the Detroit Lions. It's right. a sad day whenever we talk to a Lions person. <laughs> That's what it is. You know, but I want, I want teams to succeed, and I love that. I love the, I love the fandom and the positivity behind it. And that's, that's what fuels these damn interviews that make me so excited when football season comes around and we get to talk to people that cover these teams because they see so much more than everybody else does. And that's what I love about this. And, and, you know, it's, it's there. I feel the passion. I, I can tell you're, you know, such a diehard. I love it, man. So no hate whatsoever. I hope they succeed with it. Me too. Speaking of succeed, 
the only thing we didn't talk about was that was that front three, you know, front four. Leonard Williams, we kind of brought up Austin Johnson, Dexter Lawrence. How's that front line looking? You guys excited for it? Yeah, I'm excited for that front line. Uh, the Giants pretty much primarily deploy a three-four nowadays. Um, growing up, really through the whole most of the 2000s into the mid 2010s, they really just ran a base four-three defense with the two bookend uh, pass rushers at the end. Then you had two big D tackles inside, but they kind of switched philosophies under Pat Graham, and they've been running an attacking three-four scheme a lot. Um, Leonard Williams is kind of the centerpiece of that front seven scheme. He's used all over the line, whether it's lining up a nose tackle, left end, three D end, five technique, nine technique. It doesn't really matter. They love to deploy him in a bunch of spots. Leonard Williams obviously had a career high, 11 and a half sacks last year. He absolutely balled out, had some huge games for the Giants with some big sacks at huge times to wrap up games. Um, I think Williams is only going to keep going from here. He finally got his much-awaited payday that he had to wait years and years for. I think it was six years to get that second contract that he really needed long-term. Um, and then with that, you have Dexter Lawrence on the other side with him. Dexter Lawrence, 2019 uh, first-rounder, number 17 overall. He's a big dude at 350 in the inside, but he's as athletic as it comes at that size, and you can't move him, and he can move you. He's a, He can move the pocket. He can rush the he can rush the passer, and he can stop the run. I think he had, I mean, around four and a half sacks last year, which was a big tick-up from his rookie year. He really did show some pass-rushing potential. He should be a beast. He's only going to keep getting better. He was a terrific player at Clemson. Um, yeah, so with two and a half sacks his rookie year, four sacks last year. And then with them, they have B.J. Hill, who's been a solid rotating piece on the line for the last three years. He had five sacks his rookie year. He hasn't really had much success since. But then with that, on the inside, on the interior, they went out and they got Danny Shelton, who's another mammoth of a man on the inside. You're not going to move him at all stopping the run. And then they re-signed Austin Johnson, who they gave a surprising little pay raise to. But Johnson's a great depth piece. He's a good player. He can, he can really collapse the pocket. So uh, I'm excited about their guys up front. It, it's not – you're Michael Strahan, Justin Talk, JPPs of the world anymore. But uh, you got some big bodies up there that can move. They got speed. They all they all love to play with each other. They love Coach Graham. They fight. Um, I mean, ultimately though, the big question is: Can they help those edge rushers? Can they help those middle linebackers? Can they get home and create sacks? Because that's really been a big issue for the Giants the last couple of years defensively. Is that their defensive line hasn't been able to generate pressure. If they can generate pressure without having the blitz and they can drop seven or eight back in the coverage, this defense can really achieve whatever it wants this year. I think it's going to be a good group. I think uh, I'm a little worried about their pass rushing ability still, but I think year two in Pack Ram's scheme, they're only going to get better and smarter with it, and I'm excited to watch it. Well, so before I give you the last question here that I ask every single person here, I got to sidetrack a little bit because of the uh, the New York connection. Um, guy I was very excited for. Is there disappointment with everyone that Alexi Lafreniere only had 12 goddamn goals this season? Four-game winning goals. But damn it, man, that man had 21 points. I thought Lafreniere was going to put up like Connor McJesus numbers. The hell, man. 
Wait, I didn't hear who you were talking about. <laughs> I, I'm talking about New York Rangers' number one overall pick, Alexi Lafreniere. Oh, dude, the Rangers are a mess right now. <laughs> they fired everyone, stolen, cleaned house. His Knicks are finally good. He didn't know what to do with himself. He's shaking. He's like, oh, we got to disrupt the Islanders, or the Rangers, sorry. Got to fire the coach, the GM, and everyone. So, uh, yeah, Rangers, tough times, but shout out the Islanders. Stayed alive tonight. We're going to game uh, seven, Eastern Conference I'm, Finals. I'm a, big, I'm a big Tampa guy. We lost the Minnesota North Stars. Oh, so are you? When, when we lost the North Stars is when the Lightning came into the league, and I was like, well, I'll just yeah. cheer for them. They have a goalie named Darren Poopa, which is really tight because I'm 10 years old and think it's funny in 1993. So I obviously went for them. So I've been a, I've been a lightning guy. But, man, I watched Alexi Lafreniere in juniors. I thought this guy was going to come in and take over the NHL. Oh, our man was booted. We lost, we lost our man. Luke, our man is gone. Why'd you boot him? I didn't boot him. Apparently, apparently talking about James Dolan uh, makes a man kill himself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we'll see if he comes back. Fire Dolan, I get a text. Oh, he's got it. Yes, fire Dolan. My bad, hit wrong button. I'm hopping back out, he said. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. I'm getting a text message. Yes, fire Dolan. People are telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, it's, it's Jimmy so, Dolan's out there listening to this. Sell the team, buddy. It's time. <laughs> so we lost the North Stars as the Lightning came in the league. So I was like, right. I need a new team to cheer for. I lost my team to flip in Dallas, and I live in Minnesota. How does this work? All right, yeah. I guess I'll cheer for Tampa. They got a goalie named Darren Poop. I'm 10 years old at 93. This is funny. So I'll just pick the, the Tampa. And I've been a lightning guy since, you know. Love me love me from, from the Cavalle in San Luis to the old days of Brian Bradley and Roman Hammerlick to the to the days now with Sturgachev and, and, and the Cats. You know, I, I, I lightning through and through. But, man, I've watched and researched Alexi Lafreniere for so long. He comes in the league, and I am not a Rangers fan. I was a Martin Brodeur guy, so I loved the Devils. And when, when Messier in 93-94 beat the Devils in Game 7, when he guaranteed it to the paper and, and, and knocked him out, I, I was like, I hate him. My mom loved the Rangers. And yeah. I was going to go so far as to buy a Lafreniere Rangers jersey. And then, like, 12 goals, 9 assists, 56 games, like, bro, you were the number one pick. You're the most sure thing since Connor McJesus. What the hell happened, Lafreniere? Like, what happened, man? Yeah. <laughs> was there was there like really high hopes for Lafreniere? Yeah, I mean, I think he was as big a prospect you can really find, but uh, oh, it's just one of those like difficult things. Um, now nah, it doesn't always work out. Obviously, it's. It's more scrutinized and much more intensified in New York than anywhere else. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a bust. And uh, you just kind of keep plugging away and got to go find that next Marty Brodeur or Mark Messier or whoever, you know. <laughs> and, and, and I'm still, I'm like, I'm still confident that Lafreniere will figure it out. But I think, I think I just more was so mad that I had to eat crow because I was telling everyone, like, man, it's the wild with the ping pong balls and we get Lafreniere and we play him with – Kirill Kaprasov, man, the Wild, they're going to finally do it. 
the state of hockey should do. And then he went to the damn Rangers and I was mad. And then he didn't do good. And I was like, frustration. And then, and then you came in and you were like, I watch everything. And I said, let's go. I'm dropping yeah. this tonight. <laughs> but anyway, that is what it is. Um, we have one question that we ask everybody before we wrap up tonight. What is your pick? What's this team? What, what do you think the, 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 the New York Giants finished? the season at record wise oh man i've been asked this question too many times and i've ignored it every time uh, <laughs> look i'll say this it's been four years with losing records the giants haven't had one singular week with a winning record since 2006 they're the only team in the league that's done that it's pretty hard to comprehend you gotta have some realistic expectations that this isn't going to be a 20-0 situation overnight. They're not the Kansas City Chiefs. They're not the Baltimore Ravens, and they're definitely not the New Orleans Saints. Um, with that, though, I think the Giants, they definitely have a friendly schedule. They need to get out to a fast start. They have four very winnable games their first four weeks. I'll be honest, I, I worry about it every night when I go to bed and when I wake up in the morning. I have no idea what to expect from this Giants team. Is my offensive line going to be competent this year? I hope so. That hasn't been the case in four years. All these weapons are great on paper, but they all have some injury questions that will come with it. Ultimately, though, to answer your question, I'm pretty optimistic about this season. Giants, obviously, got an extra game in. I'm guaranteeing that Week 13 win against the Dolphins right now. Shout out, Jack Fishman. With that, though, I think the Giants, I could see a 9-8, and 10-7 and seven playing out for them maybe competing for one of the top two seeds in the NFCs. And they really have to because it's time. John Mayer knows it. Dave Gettleman knows it. Daniel Jones knows it. There's a lot of guys playing for big-time jobs in New York this year. If it doesn't work out, there's going to be sweeping changes again. It'll be another season of what-ifs and more questions than answers. But uh, this team's too talented to fail this year, I hope. I just really hope that this offensive line can be – solid or even mere competent that this team could really achieve things they haven't seen since 2011 in that earlier era of Golden Giants football. So in the mass of the people who are, are supporting you because of the fire Dolan, are you going 9-8 and eight or 10-7? and seven? What are we quoting? Uh, I'll go with 10-7 and seven for now. 10-7, we'll let's do it. Yes, sir. I would like to say, too, after 10 teams, we only have one losing record predicted. Unfortunately, yeah. it's the J-E-T-S. Jets. Yeah, that Jets. I feel Jets. very good about. Jets fans <laughs> think they're going at 9-8 and eight or above are crazy. The craziest is still... Get ready for are, another 5-12 and 12 or 4-13. and 13. That team is... Uh, I don't know. I don't think they're going places anytime soon. I love our, our the, first, the first team that we have reviewed in this five weeks because we do two teams a week. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders were picked to be eight, eight and one. The only team yeah, with a, with makes, a draw. That makes a lot of sense, though. <laughs> I'm like, let's go. We the first person we asked had a draw in there. I love it. You couldn't yeah, ask for you got something it. better than that. <laughs> oh man! If if the Giants win the division, Danny, what is the what is the cheap go to beer you're gonna buy to supply everybody to celebrate? I mean, I'm a Bud Light guy, always have been. Uh, it's probably my go to, but uh, 
But if we're if we're making the playoffs, I mean, I think we're buying bubbly for everyone. And that's hey. We got to go big if we're winning the division. It's been a long time since I've seen that. Let's go. We're going to get some Bud Lights on the top of David Tyree's helmet and cheer all yeah, the way to the end zone. So. Let's go. Danny, plug everything you got, my man, uh, so all of our listeners can know where they can, they can chat or read or, you know, hear everything you got going on. Yeah, so uh, if you guys want to read my articles, go to gmanhq.com. I'm a writer there. I write every week anything Giants-related. Uh, and then follow me on Twitter at DannyFriedman28. Love to connect with all of you. And uh, thanks again for having me on. It was, a, it, was a, it was a great pleasure, man. You're a great sport. We had a lot of fun with you tonight, Danny. I'm sure we will uh, talk again in the near future, I promise, yes, man. Thanks again for coming on. It's fantastic. Thank you Thanks, man. Right, sir. Danny Friedman coming on here tonight. Here, hit it. I'm not going to hit him with it, Luke. Don't hit him with it. Should I hit him with it? No. All right, I'm not going to hit him with that. You, yeah, hell yeah, I will. Click back into this bitch coming up Sunday, June 27th, Jordan Jistra. We're going to the armory, baby. Going to the armory. Things are opening back up. We're going to see some fisticuffs live at the armory. PBC boxing, y'all. We have David Morell Jr. taking on Mario Cazares. W, I believe a WBA. Uh, middleweight title fight. Oh, it's finally back. I'm so excited, man. I can't wait. I, I just wish we could get... I wish the Towering Inferno would be there. That's all. I, I, I do, Mr. Sebastian Segura. I also wish the Towering Chili could have joined us, but, you know, he's busy. The who? The Towering Chili, Luke Gilbert. Is that me? <laughs> <laughs> he's, gonna, he's gonna ghost, bro, and then, and then suddenly I gotta finish the show out with you, man. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> um, we 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 got 25 minutes left in the show here. Jordan wanted to come on and, and hop on and chat with us, which is always awesome. Um, we got a bunch of fun to do with everybody tonight here. Um, first and foremost, Jordan, you can participate in this. Are the things that we have that you know, don't know, whatever you want to do. If you don't know, now you know. But I want to go right into this just to kind of kick it started here before we go. Uh, we go too crazy. Where the hell did my Where the hell did my clip go? Here it is, right here, baby. Real MVP coming in sponsored by RepSports.com. Use promo code, promo code WrestleCast, 15% off your order. RepSports.com, support that real MVP. Luke, what's your real MVP, man? My real MVP is Jacob DeGrom. This man Woo! has a point, .5 ERA on the season. This man has 120 strikeouts. 10 walks. He's only given up three home runs. This man has only allowed 27 hits in 72 innings. (laughs) He's got five RBIs. He has more RBIs than he has errors. God bless. 
and you go some assholes that are going, oh, he's probably using that spider tag. That spider tag is doof in here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Let's call him out. Um, my real MVP, and Jordan, if you have one after this, go ahead and give one for us. But I just oh, want to jump into the, for the for the sake of in case we have the same thing because I, I got to have the, 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 the one on the air here. Well, my guys, I got to go with the Los Angeles Angels' own Shohei Otani. This man announces he's going to enter the home run derby. And then this comes out. On Tuesday, Otani with a home run. On Wednesday, Otani with a home run. On Thursday, six innings pitched, one earned run, five Ks with the W. And then on Friday the next day, he hits two home runs. On Saturday, he hits another home run. And then Sunday... He hits another home run. Shohei Otani, this motherfucker is going to win the MVP. This guy is the real deal, and this guy is turning into one of the most hybrid players I think any sport has ever seen in the history of American sports. He is just like, I I know we praise Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders for playing two sports. But in the wildest way, he is kind of doing the same thing. The difference between all of them is he is becoming the best at both of them. Uh, bar now, Shohei Otani is the deal, man. I, uh, I, I can't argue it. Like, that would be my pick, but I do want to stay different from you. I'm going to give the, give the nod to Devin Booker, man, and the Phoenix Suns Let's going go. up 2-0 to the, to the, to the Clippers. Okay. Uh, CP3 sounds like he's been cleared for Game Three, so we're gonna have some uh, some action of the eventual Hall of Fame point guard um, uh, uh, coming off one of the finest uh, series uh, probably in in um, in basketball history. When you look at those stats from his last, he's easily uh, again uh, my guy that I'm rooting for for the remainder of the NBA playoffs. But definitely, uh, definitely Suns in foe. Suns in foe, baby. Suns in foe. That's what I'm talking about. Real MVP coming in here. Let's just continue down the line of the fun that we have here on Sportscast Radio. Right here with the next game. will be a part of the guessing team, unless you want to make a third round and come up with your own three strike for me and Luke to work together on, which I will give you the opportunity to decide and think of something you want to do because we'll have that third. You could do it. You don't have to. But Luke, why don't you kick us off on three strikes tonight, sir? All right. My three strike is the top 10 winningest NFL franchises of all time. Now, what does winningest mean? So they're the winning percentage. Which team has won the most games versus loss ratio? Oh. That's interesting. Okay. I like it. it. Top ten, huh? Top ten. Now, is this like... Per, like, 
this team, their season, they were that good or overall total? Overall, like all time in the history of the franchises. I know it ain't going to be the Detroit Lions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Okay. Um, George, you want to jump in here with me on this one? Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 just go old school right off the bat, though. It's not going to be the Lions, but I will say one of the winningest franchises has to be the Green Bay Packers. They are the number one winningest franchise, winning 5.69% of their games. Well, I'm sorry, did you say 5.69? That doesn't make any sense. So, like, they're above 500. 0.569, sorry, 0.569. So, so five. Okay, there we go. That's better. I was going to say five percent would not be would not be a good ratio. Uh, <laughs> get your stats checked. All right, tight. <laughs> Packers are uh, number one. Um, I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are number nine at point five three six. You know, the, the luck hasn't been so great as of late, but uh, definitely a storied franchise. I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. They are number two, but tied with Green Bay at .569. Oh, oh. Um, okay, I'm going to go with the Oakland Raiders. That is your first strike. Hey. Uh, the Oakland Raiders are number 14 with a .522. Mildly concerned about this answer when I give it. Um, in fact, I, I don't even want to waste it yet. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it the San Francisco 49ers. They are number 10 with .531. Okay, uh, I'm going to go New England Patriots. They are number five with point five six two. Hmm. So you guys need uh, three, four, six, seven, and eight. I I'm curious. Um, does it include teams that have moved, or is it? Because I'm kind of curious if I if I throw this next one out there or not. Like, does um, it retain their old their old location records, so to speak? Yes. Yeah, so, like, the, the the Oakland Raiders, it says Las Vegas Raiders, but it says they played over 1,000 games. So it includes, like, the okay. whole history of the franchise. Okay. Um, ooh, this is going to be a – so this would be our third strike if I get it wrong, right? Second no, strike? second. second. All right, I'm, I'm going to take a stab on this one. This one's going to be an interesting one. I'm going to say the uh, the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens are number three with a .564 win percentage. Um, okay. So we have, what, one, two, three, nine, and ten? So you guys have one, two, three, five, nine, and ten. So you guys need four, six, and seven, and eight. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles. That is your second strike. Damn it. They are number 20 with a .488. That's wild. 
I so here's the thing: is, uh, success was big with the franchise, despite not having a a, a Super Bowl to show for. I'm going to throw the Minnesota Vikings out here in our top ten. Oh well, uh, is that your I answer? Mean, this, this is our third strike. <laughs> Oh, wait, wait, wait. Is this our third strike? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, hold on, hold on. Okay, don't take that yet. Don't take that. It's our third strike. Let's, let's just think about this for a second. Okay, hold on. So, uh, so wait, the teams that – so Dallas Cowboys got five. You said Pittsburgh. We said the Patriots. What about Denver? Um, we said the Niners. I like, I like Denver and I like the Colts. I do, too. Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. This, no, no, it ain't gonna be them. What about I, Seattle? I, I think I think we go Denver. We go Denver because the Denver Broncos years plus their actual Super Bowl years. Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. Yep. Denver third. That was your third strike. Denver Broncos is thirteen with a point five two nine. All right. So you guys got Green Bay. You got Dallas at two. Three was Baltimore. Number four is the Chicago Bears with a point five six three. Get out of here. You guys got number five with New England. Number six is the Miami Dolphins with a point five five three. I was going to say Dolphins, too, but I thought I was going to fail. And number seven is going to kick Jordan in the butt. It is the our own Minnesota Vikings with a point four five five four five. At least the positive is we went to clear it anyway. Yeah, and then number eight is the Kansas City Chiefs with a point five three seven. So the reason the reason I was going to go with the Vikings, they made four Super Bowls, so that's automatic four winning seasons plus but, all but the divisions. I also said the Raiders who won four Super Bowls, and that didn't count. Can you guys here? Let's do this before we go to yours real quick, Ryan. Can you guys predict the five worst winning teams? The Bengals. The Bengals are not in the bottom five. What? Uh, the Browns, obviously. The Browns are not in the bottom five. What? Um, oh, the Jags? The Jags are the 31st worst winning team in the league. Uh, damn. That, that backfired on us. Um... Oh, damn, the, the Washington football team. They are not in the bottom five. I don't know. I don't know the bottom, I guess. So the bottom five are Houston Texans, Atlanta Falcons, hmm. R- Ryan's Arizona Cardinals. I wasn't going to say them, but I felt like it was. Jacksonville. And the worst team in the NFL in a win percentage is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I had a feeling Tampa was, they, but they, I they refused They hold the record for the most consecutive losses. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I'm going to come at you right now. You guys can go together. The list of the all-time NHL standings. Okay. Oh, God. So, this is, this is based off of um, all-time, if you want to consider points, so the NHL system, a team is awarded two points for a win, one point for a tie, one point for an overtime loss, zero for a loss. Um, so as of coming in here, what team has the highest points percentage ratio for the amount of games that they have played? So once again, 
you get two points for a win. So you got to factor in who has the most wins with the amount of time they've played um, right. to get that, that points ratio. I'll I'll like, I'll, I'll write, I'll, I'm going to start this off for it. Montreal Canadiens. Montreal Canadiens is number two. Okay. New York Islanders. Uh, well, you jumped out a turn, and you also got your team a strike. Way to go, Jordan. Uh, Boston Bruins. Boston Bruins are number four. Uh, what do you think about the What do you think about the Penguins, Jordan? I do like the Penguins. It's going to be like an 16 so I. I uh, I'm cool. With Remember, this is their all time all time ranking. Yeah. Are we going Penguins? I'm cool with Penguins. Penguins. Oh, uh, that is that is your second strike. Dang, really? Yeah. All right. So, so if that's the case, if that's the case, I want I want to go to another original six team. I'm going to say Toronto. This will be your third strike. Are you guys agreeing on this? Or are you fighting Luke or what? No, no, no. We can, we can. We'll go with that. I like that. All right. Well, you guys got two out of ten correct. Is one the Red Wings? Strike. That would be your fourth strike. Uh, no, it's going to be like Detroit. They're not Detroit. Uh, no, wait, the, yeah, if it ain't the Red Wings, then I got nothing then. So number 10 is the St. Louis Blues. They have a 1902 to, uh, to 1625 record with an average of 534 for the win percentage. Number nine is the San Jose Sharks at an average of 535. Because you got to figure the Sharks came in in 92. They did a lot of damage in the regular season. Number eight, Calgary at a 5.36 win percentage. Number seven, the Anaheim Ducks, which I kind of thought you guys were going to get. Timo Solani leads them to the championship. They make deep runs with Jaguar. They've only been in the league for, you know, 20 years. So it's not like they were here for a long time. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got you. You know, I guess in my head now, like, when I think point percentage, I guess I, I was thinking longevity and, and, and kind of I was still yeah. on that cycle. That sucks. That's, yeah, that's so number good... seven, the next. Number six, the Minnesota Wild with a 547 win percentage. Figure they came in in 2001. They made the playoffs almost every year. Number are five, they the Avalanche National. on this list? They are not. No, because Quebec oh, is yeah. trash for most of it. Number five, the National Predators with a 556. Uh, Boston, you got it number four. Number three, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Broad Street Bullies, won uh, multiple championships in a row in the 70s. There were they 576. They also had the Lindros, LeClaire, Renberg, Legion of Doom line in the 90s. And the biggest flipping layup, guys, and I, I can't believe you. Like, this one truly bothers me that you guys didn't get this. Think about this. In their franchise existence, the highest points win percentage. Las Vegas? Exactly. The number one team. The only team over 600% on their percentage. Can't believe you yeah, didn't that, get that. that. Like I, said, I, wasn't, I was thinking longer term. Yeah, I was, I was, thinking, too, I was like, thinking more points. Yeah, I was thinking, well, then yeah. you should have listened to the question better. No, fuck uh, your the, stupid question. <laughs> the, Arizona, the Arizona Coyotes with the lowest, uh, followed by the Florida Panthers. 
Yeah, I mean, Vegas, God, they went to the Stanley Cup their first year conference finals the next year. Jordan, do you by chance want to try to whip up a three strikes for us, or are you out? Yeah, the, uh, the, the, I, I come to the conclusion that uh, your, your choice there had some spider tack on it. Oh, that, that, that's a cop-out answer. <laughs> no, I got, I got nothing for you, man. No, no, <laughs> that's done. I can't, I, can't, I can't whip that up right now. That's okay. I'm, I'm still trying to get my Ozzy Smith the diamond on the show. <laughs> Man, uh, this, this car, you don't need that car. It's not trash. <laughs> he you does backflips. I need to do that, too. Um, uh, Nikita Kucherov gets hurt in game six here tonight. Islanders win in six. We're going to a game seven two days from now, Friday night. Before Pro Wrestling Summit presents Summer Games 2, 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Are the Islanders, Luke, going to sneak into the Stanley Cup? No, they're not. Or is going to hold them off? No, Tampa will hold them off because if they make it, I'm going to be mad because you told me to pick the Islanders. And you were like, (laughs) I was just joking because you were being dumb. (laughs) And now they're actually going to do something. I did when you asked me who should I pick. In my fantasy draft pool, I said, take the New York Islanders. And you they're did. a game away from the Stanley Cup. And you didn't listen to me. It's because you said it was a joke. Like, right after that, you were like, I'm just joking. No, I said it was a joke after you told me you didn't pick them. No, I think Tampa will win. And then I think the Canadians are going to beat Vegas tomorrow. Tampa Bay, Montreal, and the Stanley Cup final. That should be some banger-ass hockey. I'm excited. Um, one thing I did want to kind of discuss here, um, as as we step in, Kevin Durant, uh, he and former teammate Draymond Green will be there with Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Bam Adebayo, Jason Tatum, Kevin Love, uh, Zach Levine, Jeremy Grant, James, and uh, James Harden was going to play. Um, but also on there, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Devin Booker. Team USA cleaning this out. Team USA basketball team always clears it out. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't like 96 or whatever, 2000. Yeah, I suppose. That's a long time ago, though. We got a bronze. Didn't LeBron say he wanted to come back and win one, and now he's like, nah, I don't want to. Yeah, he goes, oh, I'm going to play for the Toon Squad this summer. Oh, God, what a little bitch. We call that bit, 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 bitch. Bit, bit, bitch. That's what we call that. They should. The Lakers should trade him. Well, you can't trade LeBron. You ain't going to get nothing from him. I suppose. Jordan, what's your thoughts on LeBron, given that sour-ass attitude? <laughs> I mean, you know, sour grapes, man. But he's got he's got his businesses to run. Like, you could probably, honestly, given the fact that we've already seen some fatigue out of him this year, it's probably for the better that he doesn't play throughout the summer to better the chances for the Lakers next year. I agree, but don't don't you kind of agree that it's just like, why the salt, man? Like, why there's so much salt? Well, I mean, but he's been a salty guy for a while too. Like, it's it's not his first time. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen this before. <laughs> Is he salty? salty rodeo. Like yeah. salt and pepper salty or just salty? No, just he's just a salty human being. Like if he, if he doesn't win, like I you know I I hate I hate to say it, but LeBron, LeBron's 
kind of a little bit of a crybaby. You know what I mean? Like he's a he's a he's the kind of guy that you know I'm gonna take my ball and go home then. You know, nobody's gonna play. <laughs> he's like stone, stone cold. Stone cold. <sighs> stone cold. Um, breaking news just coming out. Paris Saint Germain PSG agree to a record deal as they are going to pay Inter Milan $83 million to acquire, to acquire Atraf Hakimi to come play midfield on the PSG team. 22-year-old player. This guy is going to be the next Cristiano Ronaldo type. I'm calling it right now. Everybody listening, write it in your book. But goddamn, that only What's it? I the only thing I'm writing in my book is week 13 against the Dolphins. The Giants are going to whoop. That dude said it was his lock of the year, so I'm, I'm marking that at the sports book whenever I can. <laughs> Me too. I'm about to just, go put a hundred on it. Justin Turner just knocked into the tide run against the San Diego Padres right now for the Giants. Or Max Muncy coming in. Let's go. Shout out to Max Muncy, who no team knew what to do with the Dodgers. They're so good. You said for the Giants. What are you on? Padres. <laughs> I thought it said SF. I'm sorry. I thought it said SF. <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, man, man, Akini is going to be so good. The record, that's the most any team has ever paid for a player. Out of, that's got to be out of Serie A. That, that, that can't be the record. No, no. Paris Saint-Germain has agreed to a record deal with Inter Milan. They're paying $83 million just to have him transfer the team, and then they're going to pay him on top of paying or $70 million euro just yeah. to the team, and then they have to pay him on top of that. I feel like, I, for some reason, I feel like that's that's the first, like the biggest transfer from Serie A for some reason. I, I feel like there's been like a weird, damn near hundred mil deal before. I mean, I'm going to research that. I'm, I'm going to put myself on hold and I'm, I'm going to try and figure this out. Do that, yeah, yeah. Look at that. I just, I mean, I, I think that's the biggest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. In <laughs> my life, I could be wrong. <laughs> Um, with that being said, let's jump right into this, Luke, here, as we are out of time in a couple minutes here. People are going to go to this podcastable. Uh, Jaguars I got Bengals. it. I got it. I got okay. it. The current transfer record was set uh, by the transfer of Neymar from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain for 222 million euros Jesus in August. Lord. Yeah, I, I knew that was nothing. That had to be. Yeah, that was nothing. ESPN better get their facts straight then when uh, maybe Tulsa and shit. They need to listen to sportscast. <laughs> we got the goods, they don't. Mother suckers. <laughs> Good look at his all. Uh, the first player to ever get a, a transfer fee was a uh, hundred pounds for was Scottish striker Willie Groves. <laughs> <laughs> John, are you going to be playing some MLB before you go to bed? I, I will be going to bed in, as soon as the show is over. Uh, yeah, that uh, that's just, just is what it is. Yeah. Uh, so just because I know the show is going to be ending, I want to rifle off a couple more here while we're at it. Paul Pogba. Uh, Pogba, see, baby. Pogba, 89 mil. Uh, Gareth Bale for Tottenham to Real Madrid. Yeah, 6 mil. Ronaldo to Man U. 
Uh, uh, from Man U to Real Madrid, eighty million. So there you That's go, my guys. <laughs> well, the the rest go the rest go less. But I, I like I said, I knew there was I knew there was a big ducket. Oh yeah, and I figured you'd get to the bottom of it because that's what you do. So I'm glad you did. Um, guys, once again, uh, boxing coming back here. Uh, Sports guest radio next week. We will have the the coverage from the armory here. We're gonna get into our week four and week five picks before we wrap up. Let's get right into it. Jaguars at Bengals, Luke. Jaguars. I'm going Bengals, baby. Titans at Jets. Titans. I'm gonna go Titans too. Chiefs at the Eagles. Chiefs. I'm gonna go Chiefs too. Panthers at the Cowboys. Cowboys. I'm going Cowboys too. Giants at the Saints. Ooh, I'm going to go Giants. I am also going to go Giants on the upset. I'm with you, baby. Uh, Vikings are Browns at Vikings. I'm going to go... Where are they playing? At Vikings. I'm going to go Vikings. I'm going Vikings, too. Lions at Bears. Bears. I'm going to go Detroit Lions. Uh, Texans at the Bills. The Bills. I'm going Bills as well. Dolphins at the Colts. Uh, Dolphins. I'm going to go Colts because they got to get a win here coming around the corner somewhere. Uh, Washington at the Falcons. Washington. I'm going to go Falcons here. It's kind of looks like you're taking the same plan I did. Seahawks at the 49ers. Where are they playing? Seahawks at 49ers. Yeah, that's what you said. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to go Seahawks. I'm going Seahawks too. I'm going Seahawks too. Uh, the Cardinals at the Rams. I'm going to go the Cardinals. I'm going Cardinals, too. I think they're going to get that avenged. Um, and then we have Steelers at the Packers. Uh, Packers. I'm going to go the shitty Steelers, unfortunately. Ravens at Broncos. Ravens. Buccaneers at Patriots. Buccaneers. I'm going Buccaneers too. Uh, and then the Raiders at the Chargers Monday Night Football. Chargers. I'm going Chargers too. I realized in that week, I took every road team. Damn. Uh, except for the Falcons. Falcons and Bills, all the Vikings. Never mind, Cowboys. I thought I took every fucking road team. Uh, week five, we're going to wrap this up before we head home. Rams taking on the Seahawks. Uh, I'm going to go Rams. I'm going to go Seahawks on that one. Uh, Jets and Falcons. Uh, <laughs> Falcons. I'm going to go with the, the Jets. I need something to get a W. Detroit at Minnesota. Minnesota. Right here. I'm going with you, too. 
The Saints at Washington. Saints. Going Saints too. Patriots at Texans. Patriots. I'm going to go Texans. Uh, Dolphins at Buccaneers. Buccaneers. I'm going to go Dolphins on an upset. Uh, Packers at Bengals. Packers. I'm going to go Packers, too. Broncos at Steelers. I'm going to go Steelers. I'm going to go Steelers with you on that one as well. Eagles at the Panthers. Um, I'm going to go Eagles. I'm going to go Eagles as well. Uh, Titans at Jags. I'm going to go Titans. Going Titans, too. Browns at Chargers. Chargers. I'm going to go Browns. The Bears at the Raiders. I don't like this one. Uh, um, I'm going to go Bears. I'm going Raiders. Uh, 49ers at Cardinals. Didn't we just have this? No, we had the Rams at the Cardinals. Oh, Rams at the Cardinals. Seahawks and Okay. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to Cardinals again. I'm going Cardinals too. Giants at Cowboys. Giants. I'm going Giants too. Bills at Chiefs. Ooh, I'm gonna go Bills because they lost in the playoffs. I'm gonna go Char- or Chiefs because I feel like they're gonna come out hot. Um, and then Monday Night Football: Colts and Ravens. I'm gonna go Colts. All right. Got that all wrapped up. I will get our total through week five um, as we get into next week here. Um, obviously, that's what we we're going to talk about, but we kind of ran out of time here. It is what it is. But I will get, um, as we give our week six predictions, I will get our standings for each and every one of us. Uh, next week, we have two more AFC and NFC East teams that we will discuss. Luke, you have anything before we close out? I just want to say I love all of y'all. Love all y'all. You want to win, put Booby in. <laughs> I'm about to head on to my Xbox. Y'all around. I'll talk to y'all. Not have a good one. See you tomorrow night. Wrestlecast Radio. This is Sportscast Radio. We are out. Out. Deuces.